Welcome to Spencer Talks About Stuff. Thank you all for listening and supporting the podcast. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, please reach out to me. I have some awesome guests coming up and I cannot wait to share these conversations with you guys. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And we are also now live on Spotify and Stitcher. Please, 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 you guys, all you have to do is go scroll to the bottom of my page on Apple Podcasts and click the five stars. If you want to spend a little bit more time doing something, um, you can write a review and let everyone know what you think about the podcast. There are no amendments today, and today for Spencer's Favorites, I'm only going to plug one thing. Um, this movie is kind of near and dear to my heart because I used to watch it all the time when I was little, but I want to plug the movie Air Force One with Harrison Ford. My wife and I recently re-watched it, and I think it's such an incredible movie. Um, there's some bad CGI at the end, but I was always so bored as a kid watching Harrison Ford's speech at the beginning of the movie. Um, but now that I'm a little bit older and I revisited this, it was very, very interesting listening to what he had to say um, as a political leader um, and what he had to say about intervening in conflicts around the world. So I just, it's not that I agree with it or disagree with it. I just thought it was very, very interesting and something that I did not really take in as a child. Um, so once again, that is the movie Air Force One with Harrison Ford. Uh, watch it if you have some time, if you have about two and a half hours. Um, without further ado, here is episode 17 of Spencer Talks About Stuff. Once again, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. All right, welcome to episode 17 of Spencer Talks About Stuff. Today on the podcast, I have Rob McQueen. Rob is an army veteran and entrepreneur, and we actually met when I was living with a buddy, and Rob moved in next door. So, Rob, how's it going? Good, man. Good. To have, thanks for having me on here. Yeah, of course. So, how's everything going? Oh, life is good. COVID, good. COVID is batshit crazy, but it's turned into an opportunity for me is... You know, no crisis should go unexploited. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but things are good. Family's good. And we're all healthy. Um, transition in life, but even then, like everything moving forward, and it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. COVID's affecting everyone, and I actually, I reached out to you at the beginning of COVID because I was unsure if my job was going to be there. Um, I knew a lot of people that were getting furloughed in similar jobs, um, and luckily that has not happened to me yet. But nice. I mean. I reached out to you and you were willing to talk about stuff and willing to employ me for a short period of time. <laughs> <laughs> I got you, man. It's yeah. easy. Yeah. So but that's one of those, like you're one of those guys that's going to be fine anywhere you want. So you, you say like, Oh, you, you got me. You're going to employ me. I was like, oh, please come work on the team. Yeah, if, yeah. if I have an excuse to get Spencer on the team, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I don't know. It just kind of, it kind of kicked me in the butt to start focusing more on what I really enjoy, yep. you know? So, and I think that it did that for a lot of people. So, it's, it's a challenge to, I mean, I think everyone gets stuck into that conundrum and cycle of life where you do the same thing over and over again. It feels like success yeah. because, you know, you get that little feedback of, oh, I'm doing this well. Hey, I have a, I have a niche here. I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. But is it really what you love? Is yeah. it really what you want to do? Is it really purpose? Like, I don't know. That's, that's, that's a big thing in, in everything I do is what the hell's the purpose in life? Like, yeah. Why are you here? Own something. I don't care what it is. If you want to make a widget and be the best widget maker ever, then own that, own that space. Yeah. Yeah. But don't just go through motions you're just wasting life and stealing oxygen at that yeah. point. I think, uh, I think a lot of people confuse just getting a paycheck and that security with being successful. Yep. So no, and that, that, that statement right there 
it's not even just the success part. Cause you do like, we equate way too much with money and success. Yeah. And I think that's, we can go down influence and all the other crap that goes with that. But yeah. what you said is really key because that security piece. Yeah. You get stuck in that thought process where it's like, Oh, I'm making enough money. I get to go to the lake on the weekends. Yeah. My wife's not mad at me. I'm not staring at my bank account every single day. You know, once a week I, you know, shit myself a little bit and go, oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, but then you, but you're still there, you know, you got that security. And that was a big thing for me leaving the military on active duty as I sat down and I started going through, all right, I got this job offer with this cool company called waves for water. I get to go be a humanitarian. I get to change everything, but shit, how much money am I going to make? Yeah. You know, yeah. where's uh, I get healthcare in the military. I get a stipend to live in. Like, you know, granted you lose freedom and everything else, but that whole piece you're like, oh fuck! There is a security that comes with that. Like, I don't even, I can't even get my make my wife mad because the army's going to tell me where I have to move to. <laughs> yeah. So it's not even my decision. So I'm like, hey, sorry, sweetie. Like, we got to go to Louisiana. Yeah. You can't be mad at me. Wasn't yeah. my idea. And now all of a sudden, I'm entering a realm where it's like, fuck! Now I have to make decisions on my own. I'm responsible and beholden to my family. Like, I put you in this place. I made this decision. It may not work out. Yeah. And like, then the money thing. I'm like, oh Jesus! Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, and so it was interesting. I had a conversation. I got the moving to a humanitarian, not a lot of money, small nonprofit, but great responsibility, amazing job. And I was talking to my cousin cause I started looking like, okay, well let's look at other jobs and money. And I found some other sales jobs, so medical sales and everything else that, you know, combat arms and special operations veterans usually transition to Yeah, tons of money. I'm like, Oh great. Oh shit. I can go make a good amount of money. And I talked to my cousin who's an entrepreneur and I was like, Hey man, it's this much money. He goes, bro, is that what you want to do? Yeah. It's like, no. And he goes, and that's money's great. He's like, money's great. And he's a, he like, he likes money. Like he has the great car, the big house. That's his thing. He's great at it. Great entrepreneur. But he said, he said to me, he's like, that's not life changing. He's like, if you want to make a decision on money, it better be life changing and drastically life changing. So in that shift, you can find what you love and find what you want to do. Yeah. Otherwise I was like, well, it's not life changing money. He's like, then do what you want to do and don't be a dumbass. Yeah. That's, (laughs) that's awesome. That's, that's very, very good, uh, advice. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm still growing up. I don't think I'm ever going to be completely grown up. up. You should never grow up. But I'm, I'm learning more. I mean, I think some people get done with college and they're like, you know, they start their career and they're like, okay, I'm a grown up now and I know what I want to do and I know where I want to be. But quite honestly, as long as I'm still learning, I don't really care where I'm at. And I almost feel like I've hit that point where it's kind of, it's stagnated a little bit in my professional career. And it's like, all right, I want to start learning something else. I want to learn how to do something else. Yep. So well, yeah. it's a, it goes back to like, you're a student in life. Right? Yeah. Like if you're not learning every day, it's, it's kind of like a shark in swimming. Right? Yeah. Like you gotta, I, I, I gotta learn something every day. And I think my wife gets tired of it cause I never stop moving and I always pick up a new project or a new idea or a new something that I can't get rid of. I am a quintessential too many goddamn ideas guy. Yeah. I've got this and I'm going to go do it and I'll get into it. And I'm like, Oh, this maybe was a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you get stuck in that. It's that same thing. Like, God, fuck just going through life is worthless. And if you're not learning every single day, what are you doing here? You can't like, I look at people and I'm like, I don't think they learned anything today. I don't yeah. think they wanted to learn anything today. Yeah. Why are you, why are you here? Yeah. Yeah. That's a little, little harsh, but you know, well, no, I, I completely agree with that. And, and something that I think has contributed a little bit to my stagnation too is the lack of being able to travel right now with COVID. So (laughs) like I seriously, like how my mind works is, okay, I want to go to Argentina. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's go to Argentina. And while I'm in Argentina, my wife and I literally learn everything Everything. about that country and why the city set up the way it is, who first came there, what conflicts happened, why the government is the way it is right now. And um, 
we literally do that every time we travel. I do. I think that was one of the things when we first started talking, like really drew me to you and you and your wife. And it's just like, and that's at the time your girlfriend yeah, yeah. Uh, is just that, that thirst for life. Cause I'm the same way. I mean, I think 35, 36 countries at this point. Yeah. And it's the same thing. I'm lucky enough that when I go do it, like I'm not staying in the high class resort. I'm not following the tourist path. Like I'm getting out to those places that need help, need assistance that nobody would go to. Yeah. And so you just immerse yourself in the culture. You immerse yourself in the people nothing is more rewarding than really getting that like feedback of like, God, I am learning every second of every minute I'm out here. Yeah. And it's just fucking experience after experience. It's just yeah. the best. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I want to get back to that, but before we go any further, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to pour myself a drink. So you brought some bourbon I for did. us to drink. Yeah. I think this is the first bourbon I've had on the podcast. What? So, Oh man. So I always, uh, on the little podcast I do with my buddy, uh, I always give credit to lead slinger whiskey. Uh, they're not an official partner in any way, shape, or fame, and nothing I say can be directly attributed to that amazing brand. <laughs> don't blame Rob. Don't, don't blame. Don't blame me. Uh, yeah. But if you want to sponsor me, Matt Best, uh, go ahead and send it my way. Uh, but Ledslinger Whiskey, great group of guys, I'm fantastic bourbon. Kill it, yeah, that's what it's for. Um, fantastic, fantastic bourbon, uh, and they're always loosely responsible for everything I say. <laughs> awesome. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, brother. All right, I'm giving it a sip now. Awesome. It's drinkable. Love right? it. Not it's very fancy, good. Not fancy. It's just clean and easy. It's good drinking. I uh, I always prefer it on the rocks too. Always. I'm always a bourbon on the rocks guy. Some yep. people like it neat, but I don't know. You know, it's it, we it's shooter's preference, right? It's yeah. However you want to sling it. That's why people are like, oh god, you're gonna put you're gonna put ice in that? Yeah, yeah. I paid for it. I'm gonna drink it. However the hell I want to drink it. I don't need to drink it to your standards. So I heard I was listening to a podcast the other day, and somebody said that they went to a bourbon distillery. I think they went somewhere in Kentucky, obviously. Um, and they asked the person there, what's the, like, what's the correct way to drink it? Yeah. And they told the person, they said, how do you like it? Exactly. So yeah, that's, that's you it. really can't go wrong. No, I mean, it's, it's so. everyone that t- likes to tell you how you should like things. And yeah. I just don't like that. Yeah. Uh, pull the mic just closer. a little bit closer. Yep. Adjusted Te- technical specialty is not my thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've tried to figure out like the best way to tell people like how to you know, if they're too close and they're like yeah. making a bunch of noise or if they're too far away, I can but, hear myself breathing. So I'm like, I got to get away from this. So you don't get the mouth breather. It really doesn't pick it up. <laughs> and if you, if you need to move, I'd say go over here. I'll like go to the left. Yeah, yeah, there we yeah. go. So I'll, just, I'll do the, do the singer thing. I'm all talking though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and go back into it. <laughs> uh, okay. So getting back to your career. Yeah. So, so how long have you been out of the army? Uh, so I left active duty in 2016. Okay. So, I joined Waves for Water uh, as a humanitarian in mid-2016, formally out of the military, late 2016, and then I joined the reserves. Okay. Again, that whole drop in pay, I had to find some, find a way to do kind of two things. One is I loved my job in the military. I was lucky enough to do just some incredible things, and so I loved that. I still wanted to be able to contribute my experience and everything to following soldiers and people along that path, so I've stayed in the reserves, and then also, you can't be a reserves healthcare man. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. One weekend a month, two weeks a year cover me healthcare for the entire year. So yeah. I can, I can suck that bullet up to make sure that it works out. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and, uh, let everyone know what waves for water. Is. Yeah. So, so waves for water is a nonprofit or non-governmental organization, humanitarian yeah. aid organization. <laughs> uh, and what we do is access to clean water around the world, primarily in disaster response and then in austere environments. So those remote locations I was talking about earlier, where not everybody's going to go there. Yep. Little element of risk, take some specialty to do like off non-standard logistics and get out to those areas. And yeah. primarily we work in kind of three fields. One is a point of use filtration system. And we, we teach people how to manage, maintain, and really bring that little piece of technology into their life. And then the other piece is our rain catchment and wells. And so just creating those sources of water that then can then be filtered. That's awesome. So, so the, 
the piece of technology that you teach them to use, mm-hmm. it's basically like one of those life water things. Yeah, it's a, so it's a life water I've talked to and tried to figure out a good plan. So we use Sawyer okay. uh, at this point, the SP-180. It's a bucket gravity-fed filter, no moving oh. parts, super back flush, super simple. Because uh, everything you look at when you go somewhere where you know the education level is sub-first first grade, it's going to be complicated. You can't put a multi-million dollar system out there. You can't put something that has moving parts and application. Like it's really complicated to integrate that into a simple society. Yeah. And so we go with as easy as you can and as effective as you can. And what's great is it works. If no water comes out, it doesn't work. Like you stop right there. So yeah. if clean water, if water comes out, it's clean, safe to drink. So there's no, that in between of knowing when it's functioning, are we out of chemicals? Yeah. Uh, and the other side, gravity fed in a lifespan of a million gallons. If I teach them to use it. Wow. Right. So Holy I mean, that's smokes. a, yeah, it's crazy. So you get a family of five and that's 20 years. Yeah. So you're talking generational shift. Like it may not be a permanent solution forever, but it's a bridge to that solution. Cause you can create generational change in health and education and social in 20 years because of a $50 water filter. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. It's interesting that you talk about that water filter as the, like the one thing that could cause all that change because I've, I've heard like, if you want to donate to an organization, a lot of the organizations, the money doesn't go directly to what you want it to go to. And I heard that one of the organizations, if you donate to it, where your money goes the furthest is mosquito nets that go to Africa. And it's like, I would have never even thought that like breast cancer or, I don't even know some, the more complex the problem. And, and this is like, I'm a little jaded having worked with nonprofits forever. There's amazing nonprofits do incredible work. Uh, and the way I always judge it is on like how clear and how transparent are they? And that's two different things, right? Yeah. How clear and concise is their mission? Like, what are they doing? Hi, I'm trying to stop malaria. I deliver mosquito nets. You can't get much more clear than that, yeah. right? I'm going to give mosquito nets to people that need it. Any questions? Yeah. Done. Then you have, uh, I'm going to solve climate change. Okay. How? Yeah. Just give me a billion dollars. I'll show you. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. okay, so where does that money go? How do we break down that thought process? And again, it's just a very complex problem or even a wicked problem set. And then all the way down to just simple and to the point. Yeah. 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 Very, very interesting. Um, okay. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about your time in the army okay. as well. Yeah. Um, and I know you worked in the army and I'll, I'll let you talk about yeah. it because I don't know what questions I can ask. I don't know what you can answer. <laughs> You can always just feel that out and I'll just be like, so there's a nice map on the wall. Of yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> um, no, so my career was, I, I lucked out with my career and timing and, and just the way things went. So I started out uh, as an, I commissioned out of University of Idaho, ROTC, uh, as an armor officer. I did a program called SMP, which was great. So I was enlisted in the National Guard as a combat engineer, commissioned as an armor officer. And then the way armor worked out is your split. So you have light and heavy. The light side is very focused on reconnaissance. The heavy side is tanks and all the other big guns. Okay. Um, so I ended up getting assigned to the 101st, to 3rd Brigade 101st, the, the Rockassons, one of the best storied infantry regiments of all time, Hamburger yeah. Hill, okay. along, the, yeah. along those lines. Awesome. Um, and so I got snapped up there. So I went to the light side, specialized in reconnaissance, picked up a actual light dismounted reconnaissance platoon infantry. Uh, which is focused on dismounted reconnaissance. So, you know, that good old walking a long distance with heavy weight. Um, And then the good old fashioned battle drills, one through six, clearing all that good stuff. And so I ended up going to Iraq in 2007 as an infantry platoon leader. I was there for 15 months. So September, 2007 to November, 2008. Uh, In the middle of that, had my first daughter. It was great to get an email. Here's here. You're a dad and then go on target. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it was a long, <laughs> it was a long trip. I, I bet. Everyone's yeah. familiar with the surge in Iraq in 2007. It was not a polite time. Yeah. Uh, but lucky I was just, I had an incredible group of guys to work with, incredible leaders and mentors that worked, I worked for, 
Uh, and so I did most of that deployment as a platoon leader, uh, working in Baghdad and then down in, uh, Diwania towards the Iranian border towards the end of it. Okay. And then halfway th- about a month and a half left, I took over executive officer of a reconnaissance troop. Okay. Um, so I was XO of that troop, came back, uh, put in a packet to go to special operations, went, got picked up, went to selection, ended up going, what's called civil affairs. And so civil affairs is basically... When you think about it from a component, it sounds very nice. Yeah. The idea is to understand the vulnerabilities that exist between a government and its people. Right? Okay. And you can do it two ways. Like as soon as I understand how people interact with the government, then I can determine, do I want to fix those problems? Cause I want to help the government or on the special operations side, do I want to exploit those things to break the divide, cause disturbance, and then overthrow the government? Cause us special operations focuses very heavily on unconventional warfare yeah. or overthrowing regime. So, yeah. So instead of stopping the insurgency, you create them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I had the opportunity to go to, uh, as a joint special operation team with seal team two, uh, I went to Afghanistan and did what's called VSO in 2012. Uh, I was there for just under a year, about 10 months which was amazing. Lived in the mountains of uh, Argandab and uh, the Zabal province, Argandab River Valley. Worked with some of the most amazing people I've ever worked with from the SEALs to other special operation teams that we're all together on. And that was just, I mean, living in the mountains in Afghan villages, fighting. I was just, it was crazy. Yeah, so yeah. fighting every single day, getting to know new people, literally starting schools, building roads, killing the enemy. Like it was an incredible experience. And I, I don't think I've ever had a chance to work with the most incredible people ever. Yeah. Uh, from that, I came back, I ended up picking up a second special operations team. Uh, and I ended up leading that team in Bosnia in 2013, 2014. And I worked out of the U S embassy there. Uh, and then primarily we're working with, uh, just some incredible organizations and agencies that were trying to really figure out at that time, there was a massive flow of, uh, fighters that were heading down into Syria at the time. So we oh. were working to help the local government try to like plug the gaps and find where those support networks were and try to manage that like large scale geopolitical situation. So, situation. so Bosnia was backing some people that were fighting in Serbia? No, no, no. So you, you got to think of it this way is Syria at that time was just blown up. It was off the chain. Yeah. And so you had what, you know, what we call foreign fighters, right? And so you have a ton of fighters that are usually from a religious connection. So Islamic, uh, usually very Wahhabi. So that hardcore Sunni sect. Uh, and they were, you know, looking where the next fight is. And if you look at Bosnia and the history of the Bosnian war, you had yeah. that same sect. You had some group from the Wahhabi sect that actually came in to fight and help liberate Bosnia when, during the conflict with the Serbs and the Croats. So, and did those guys come from Pakistan during no, the no, Bosnian conflict? No, the Bosnian conflict, I think they came from most everywhere, but a lot of it was Saudi Arabia. Okay. So that was the same. That was Osama bin Laden's group. A lot okay. of that crew through there. And so you had a, a very, and then they stayed. And so you had this like entrenched Wahhabi sect, um, that had their very, is very radicalized Islamic peace. Yeah. Uh, and so those guys would then you'd be some support network, but really you're looking at, if you look at just the geography, you have people moving throughout the Balkans all the way through and down. And so per capita, they were contributing quite a few fighters to the, to the mess down this area. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It's a complicated piece. It, it, it's very complicated. And to me, it's, it's very interesting, you know, that we've been on, one side of certain wars, the first Gulf War and the second Gulf War, mm-hmm. and it seemed like we were mostly fighting Islamic extremists. I yeah, mean, I don't know. If first Gulf War, not so much. Okay. Yeah, first Gulf War, you're thinking like first Gulf War was straight up Saddam, and okay. so that was the first Gulf War was triggered off of when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And so that was our piece, and it, it, it's interesting because there were two options when you look at who's going to help liberate Kuwait and actually Osama bin Laden and his crew wanted to do it. Oh wow. And so, but you know, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia was like, no, we're going to yeah. go with Schwarzkopf and see what he can do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but then it's interesting too, because 
all of the religious tension. I mean, it seems like there's religious tension wherever you look in the world. Yes. But during the Bosnian conflict, we went and backed the Muslims. Uh, so that's an interesting piece. And I think that's a, that's a loose term. So, okay. and I think you kind of have to dig into the history of the, of the Bosnian conflict because prior to that conflict, what was it? It wasn't Bosnia, right? Yeah. It was Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia. Yep. Breakup of Yugoslavia. Right. And so you have to go back to the past. Like, how do we get to that point? And you can draw a ton of similarities to what we're seeing today. So we can kind of do like a quick two minute lead in. Cause I think it goes to what you were just addressing, which is really interesting. So when you go to the fall of Soviet Union, right, they didn't automatically be like, oh, hey, communism's done. Everyone else go do your own thing. Democracy's here. Yeah, we we yeah. lost. Sorry, guys. Well, they, they left it more up to the individual states, uh, right? Did they, though? I, I'm, an interesting not, piece. I'm not sure. I, you, you know yeah, much more so about the Bosnian conflict this than is, I do. So I would say no, uh, and, and I say no for this reason, because basically it was a rebranding of communism to socialism. And then you have to realize that to really get that to stick, you have to nest it in conflict. So you have to have division. Because if everyone's working along the same side, if everyone's on the same page, it doesn't fly because you have that progression. You have that piece. Con- communism, socialism are very much rooted in the, in the Marxist philosophy, which is kind of class warfare, right? Yeah. You have to have the haves against the have, or the have nots against the haves. It has to be there for it to drive forward. Yeah. Uh, which is funny because it's in a system where everyone has everything except for the Politburo and the people up top because they get a little bit more because yeah. they're the party. So, so just go with it. But everyone else is equal. Yeah. Um, so when you look at Yugoslavia, you can kind of look at how the break happened. And what happened is you have, okay, boom, we're going to go down. We're going to call it socialism. Hey, Tito's in place. We're going to do the same thing, secret police, all that good stuff. But really what we're going to do is we're going to start trying to pull people apart. And so when we look at that region, what do we have that we can nest into? Right here in, in the U.S. right now, it's become political, right? Your yeah. political ideology, it's, it's gone from the fact of where you say, hey, I'm not really political. I just take things issue by issue. You're kind of looked at like, whoa, hey, man, pick a side. Yeah. Which yeah. is terrible. Absolutely. <laughs> we ridiculous. can't pick a worse ideology than politics because politics is garbage. Yeah. And that's going to be our ideology that we stand and die on. Anyway, different tirade. Yeah. But so, but what do you have in that region? You have three really ethnically different and they're religiously different. So you yep. have the Serbs, which you're Orthodox, right? Yep. Then you have your Croats and your, which you're Catholics. Yep. And then you have the Bosnians at the time or Bosniaks, which yeah. are your Muslim. And you can't find three more oppositional yeah, places to pull yeah. So you start driving the wedge and you start breaking those things up. And if you look at the history and I, and I tell anybody, there's a few good videos on the internet that are kind of circling right now. If you want to understand how quickly things didn't evolve, you went from a solid state. I mean, when were the Olympics? 1984, 84, 84. Cause In I was there for the 30th year anniversary of the Olympics. Okay. 84. So 10 years after you host that Olympics, that, that country doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And you're in civil war that cost hundreds of thousands of lives. And it degraded so quickly that it went from talking to two people that have different beliefs, but the same idea of life. Like you still want the same thing, security, safety, raise a family. But all of a sudden it became the enemy. So it was the person I disagreed with, or the person I had different beliefs with was no longer my fellow countrymen, my fellow Yugoslav, however you want to put it. Yeah. They're now my enemy. Yeah. And then you start pulling on that and that's done through media. It's done through highlighting it. And if there's one specific piece when, and this is a really interesting point, the uh, Yugoslav actually deployed the military into to try, I think it was directly into Sarajevo to try to like quell the riots and the fighting that was going on. Yeah. Uh, I think a hundred of them were killed. They were ambushed. But the problem is, is like, who's the enemy? Yeah. Like the military goes in and is like, this is what we do. It is really complex to go into a place where everyone's fighting each other. Yep. And so that place, it completely disintegrated. 
And it went down to the point of where you have family against family, village against village. You have this just complete, everyone's trying to fight and hold onto their own peace till eventually it works itself out. And I think what I'll leave it with on that conflict, I think highlights it really well is when I was working in Bosnia, I, I ran a training program for the counterterrorism forces there, a medical training program. It was fantastic people. So I got to work with all of the, the premier counterterrorism operators in Bosnia. Yeah. And there was a Serb team and a Bosniak team, more or less, because you've got kind of two breakdowns. You have the Federation, which is Bosniak and Croatian right now. Yep. And then you have the Republic of Srpska, which is your Serbian piece. And that's kind of where the division does, after the war does, ended. I mean, I we're getting into the weeds here. Yeah, a little, I, a little too deep. Well, And I'm, I'm assuming that people, you know, might know a little bit more yeah. about this conflict, but Republika Srpska yeah. is the Bosnian Serbs. Correct. They're ethnically yes. Serbian, but they yep. live in Bosnia. Correct. And yeah. they, they still exist. Yep. Oh yeah, absolutely. Re- Republika Srpska. Oh, Republika Srpska. And it's interesting too, because so yeah, to, cause it's a good point at the end of the war, like basically when we intervened in and we stopped the fighting and really you had Srebrenica, that massacre and everything else kind of drove international attention, the yeah. cleansing. And so we came and stopped it. And what we did is just basically, it's kind of like North Korea. We just drew a demarcation line. So you have the Federation, Think of two states, more or less. The Federation of Bosnia, uh, which is your Croat and Muslim, and your yeah. Bosniaks. And then the Republic of Srpska, which is along the Serbian border. Yeah. So you have those two pieces. And, then, and even talking to the people in our eyes, they don't identify as Bosnian. They're Serbs. Yeah. yeah. You ask them, they're Serbs. Yeah. Uh, and, you've, and you've been there. So I think you've had this few of those conversations. Did oh, you guys make it to the RS? Uh, we did not go up oh. north. We stayed pretty far south. We went to Sarajevo. Uh, we mm. drove near Mostar. Yep. We drove on the so highway. You went, you went south and stayed in the Federation towards. You went down to Dubrovnik, right? Yep. 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 Sorry, that was my computer. But don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> no time. worries. Um, so, but I think it's it's really important to understand this because there was a hard divide following the war. There was never any fix. No one ever came back together. So you had Serbia and Russia, who still exist, really digging into their Orthodox brethren, and yeah. so that's becoming more Serbia. And then you have the outside influence of other Islam and Bosniaks, and then you have the Croatians just trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do yeah. as they barely hold onto their power. But um, to circle back to the, to the important piece, and I think I've lost it completely. But what were we going? Where, where, where do we start? Oh no, I, I was I was asking. So the UN and the United States yes. did they back the Muslims? No, and so they just tried to create peace. And okay. so really, there is that narrative that they backed the Muslims because you have what really kind of drove a lot of this was the ethnic cleansing. Yeah. Uh, and then you had the Serbs who were absolutely killing all the Muslims. Yeah. I mean, Milosevic was not even, he's like, we're going to kill all the Muslims. They're the problem here. I've, I've watched it's interviews. Crazy. I've watched interviews with him where he says, we're going to get them back. Crazy. It yeah. was crazy. It was payback. He's like, this is time. Uh, yeah. And so, and when we were working there, I mean, you would find different body parts and different mass graves. Like they literally would execute a ton of people in the field, be like, Oh shit, we got to make it look like this. So they would dig them up with a backhoe, yeah. take them over and drop them where a battle took place. But Jesus. you'd find a dude's arm where a battle was. And then another, I was like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. So they didn't piecing people together trying to figure out. And so you had this mass genocide, which did happen on both sides. It just was more publicized. So really when Srebrenica hit off, and I think it was 9,000 women and children killed. Yeah. Um, when that I, well, they, off, it was 9,000 men. It's just correct. I, I, I believe just, so. I think they, I think they sent all the women and children somewhere else. You might be correct. Okay. I, yeah. Don't, don't quote me on that one. Okay. Either way, 9,000 Muslims executed souls. Yes. Straight up. Yep. 9,000 souls done. Yeah. Uh, and so w- when you hit to that piece, then you get the, Hey, now who's the bad guy. Now we're looking at war crimes. Now we're really getting into it. So, you could say that we came in on the side of the Muslims at that point, but really what we did is come in to stop the massacre. Brokered, brokered the peace brokered deal. Brokered the peace deal. Yep. Um, I, yeah, I guess what makes me think 
you know, we backed the Muslims. We were on the Bosnian side. Mm-hmm. Um, the bombing of Republika Srpska, the yep. bombing of Serbian weapon catches, oh, absolutely. all that stuff. And then we bombed Kosovo a few years later consistently. Like, I think we dropped yeah. more bombs on Kosovo than you can even talk about. Which I didn't realize. So Kosovo had a conflict. So, so the conflict in Bosnia, the quote-unquote Bosnian War right. lasted from like 91 to 95. 91 to 95, I think, yeah. And then there was another conflict that happened in Kosovo, which is modern-day southern Serbia. Is that right? Depending who you talk to. Yeah. Um, I, I, it, Serbia doesn't even recognize it as a country. So it's it's uh, the Kosovar Albanians basically have their annex, more or less, but it's Kosovo. We recognize it as a country. Other countries do not. Obviously, Russia, yeah. Serbia. So yeah, one of those I, complex geopolitical things. Well, and see, that's <laughs> the more I looked into the Bosnian conflict, it, it just seemed like there were so many... So the, the Croatians obviously had their oh, yeah. geographical area. Mm-hmm. The Serbs had their geographical area. Um, the Bosnian Muslims had an area, but they were so mixed in with the Croats and the Serbs that, you know, some of the Serbs wanted to stay with Serbia. Some of the Croats wanted to stay with Croatia. Um, Some of them wanted Yugoslavia to stay together. So, I mean, it's just, it's very complex. The more and more you get into it. It is. I mean, you you look at their political system now and I think it sums it up. You have three presidents. I dude, It it is mind blowing. blowing. I watched, I watched a video trying to explain um, the government (laughs) Of Bosnia, yep. and I, I, it lost me after two minutes. It's ethnically aligned, yeah. Like you just straight up back in the ethnically aligned. You have three presidents. You, your chairmen's, your joint chiefs of the military, three of them. Yeah. yeah. And then it rotates which one is is technically the one in charge. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's batshit crazy. Yeah. It's very um, interesting. And I think yeah, it's nuts. I think the reason the Bosnian conflict has interested me um, so much recently is because it's happened so recently, and I think it's you know it's not somewhere in Africa. It's not somewhere in the Middle East. Yep. It almost seems more relatable to me because oh, yeah. it's almost a Western country. I mean, I guess it is a Western yeah. country. Um, but seeing what happened there, I mean, you can kind of draw some parallels to what's going on right 100%. now, I guess. 100%. But people being divided, people being you know, extreme on both sides, yep. not listening to each other. Yep. So I think that's what drew me to it and that's why I'm so interested in it. I, I think, yeah, I wish more people would pay attention to it because I mean, it, ni- 1992. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, that's not that long ago. It's not long ago no. at all. No. Well, and, and what blew my mind, I mean, I like going off the beaten path. I like going to weird places and probably mm-hmm. to you, you've been to a lot crazier places than I've been to. But uh, Sarajevo, I mean, you ask any person in the U.S. to describe like what Sarajevo yeah. is, where it is, nobody knows and that's why it kind of intrigued me when we first went there. But we got there and we went on a war scars tour yep. of the city and you can see mortars still stuck in the concrete. Oh, Sarajevo roses, man. Dude, it, it was mind blowing. Yeah. And how they paint them in depending on like if the ones that are actually cemented in are the ones that actually killed people at that location. And yeah. And it's such a beautiful city too. It's like, gorgeous. Beautiful. It's amazing. And there's like new trails. They're, they're oh, investing in infrastructure, mm-hmm. um, brand new mall downtown that we, that mall's toured. an interesting piece. The, uh, you're talking, cause that's the, uh, the, Oh God, what's it called? Central Plaza. But that, so that mall is actually built by a UAE investment company. Oh, wow. You noticed that mall was Sharia law. Did you notice oh, that? Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, so there's no drinking, no smoking. It closes at 10 p.m. I drink uh, coffee in there. Yeah, it's great. It's a beautiful <laughs> mall. There's a bowling alley upstairs and a laser tag. And this is, it was really interesting because we started looking into it because they got that built 
yeah. super fast, yeah. like way faster than any other development was going. So I was like, man, these guys had to have some money. Well, if you look at the UAE compared to yeah. 15 years ago. But it was interesting. Like you actually look at the company that funded it and they're actually, one of their underlying pieces is actually to expand Sharia law through capitalist investments. Wow. Really interesting. And so it was the most hilarious. So we're bowling upstairs and you know, the bowling alleys and they have the video screens, right? And a yeah. nice bowling alley. We're bowling. Uh, and I bowled and I hit a strike. Yeah. And the funniest thing, so I, I'm trying to, I may get it wrong because it was years ago, but the little cartoon comes up and it is literally like the general from like a US general from uh, like the general auto commercials, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. a damn cartoon general. It's like, I'm going to save you money, like yeah. call it whatever. And he drives up in a tank and takes a shot at the bowling pins and misses. And then the bowling ball with a goddamn explosive vest on rolls into the middle of all the pins and blows up, causing what? a strike. That was the I mean, that was the propaganda that was going. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Jesus. I just came here to bowl. Yeah. And I ended up like, and you just look at it. You're like, this is changing the way I have to approach this thing. And that's why we yeah. dug into it. My team and I were like, what is this place? Yeah. Interesting. And so it's crazy, but it, it's so interesting. And I think the thing that sits for me, and, and I wanted to mention this earlier, so training all the counterterrorism forces, all of these guys were Yugoslav special forces. Yeah. So, I mean, you had Serbians, Croats, Bosnian, Bosniaks, all on the same teams. Yeah. I mean, these guys are brothers. Yeah. So when the war started, they literally piled. And I, I remember one of the guys I worked with, one of the commanders, he's like, dude, we put all of our weapons together in the circle. We picked out what we wanted, divvied up the radios, and we talked to each other. And, you know, a lot of the snipers would be like, hey, man, I'm sorry I shot your buddy, but it was him or you. Uh, Jesus. I, I, hope, I hope you stay alive. Yeah. Like, they would have these conversations over the radio because this is close up fighting. Yeah. And those guys, like, I, you hear the stories for them, which are not repeatable on this on this channel because they're just brutal. Yeah. Uh, you listen to that and, like, what those what that country went through. And people think Sniper Alley. Like, you hear Sarajevo, Sniper Alley, everything that's happened, the tunnels, all that other shit. You think yeah. Sniper Alley, like, oh, they're shooting from a mile away. We're talking 100 meters. Oh, I... It's so, not a sniper. Like, that's just right across the piece. Like, so, it's crazy. So, I saw a video the other day where a sniper shot a UN peacekeeper who was... He was operating a forklift. Yep. Have you seen that video? No, I haven't. But it's like... You can see the muzzle flash from the building, like, right next door yep. to where the... He's, like, moving water. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, and what I loved is Sarajevska, the brewery there, stopped making beer and made water. And so a lot of the tunnels went to Sarajevska and oh. people could go get water from there. And so it was probably a guy that was delivering from there. Yeah. But no, you could, you absolutely couldn't. Like, because yeah. when you're in Sarajevo, people, I think people have a tendency to picture kind of some like Eastern European village or something else. Like it's a city yeah. with skyscrapers and sky rises. And so you're walking down the street and you've got 37 floors of windows that anyone could just lean out and take a pot shot. Yeah. And that's what it was. It's was crazy. That is crazy. God, yes. I love that country though. That country is one of my favorite. On my it road. is. It was gorgeous. And I liked, um, so we drove on the M 20. Is that right? One of whatever the highway is that goes through that monument. Yes, I think so. And I don't, that monument I think is a world war two monument, Yes, but it's out in the middle the of the one I sent you to, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Dude, that, that monument. Cause that was for all of the Croatians that were killed in world war two. Okay. Uh, and that is like just the obelisk. And yeah. that giant sarcophagus up on that hillside with the whining. It was like the figure eight stairs that went up yeah. to it. We took my uh, my engineer on the team took a wrong turn or kind of when it ran a different path, uh -huh. and we just ended up driving past it. That's how we found it. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was just a random piece. Yeah, sorry. No, head. you're good. My headphones got a little disconnected. Yeah, um, yeah. I one of my favorite parts about that first trip that Debbie and I took to Europe together. So we drove through Bosnia. I think. I want to say we went to Belgrade first and then went to Sarajevo afterwards. And from yeah. Sarajevo, we drove to Dubrovnik. Yep. Um, and driving on that highway and where it comes, I'm, you go around a turn and it comes up and over and you see the ocean. It's crazy. Or, well, I guess you see the Adriatic Sea, yeah. but it, it was incredible. Yeah. It was beautiful. like, I don't know. It was almost like 
if Fresno was on the water or something. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't really know how to No, I think it. that's a good one because you get that transition. I think everyone forgets because Bosnia is pretty small like yeah. in the scope of things. But you got you have every single climate you go on from like major alpine. Like you're in the Alps, mountains, crystal clear, guy, like yeah. snow-fed rivers and streams. Then you have like regular kind of the Rockies. Then you have the beach. And then you really get into where you're talking about, which is like Bosnian wine country. Yeah. And it just opens up into these fields. It is like Fresno right over the sea. Ah, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. I and love it was, that country. We were there in late August. And so the foliage was like kind of drier. Yep. And it was like we came over this pass and it was like, holy crap. It was so striking yeah. seeing yeah. the water. Um, I don't know. I think I romanticized that part of the world. Uh, and absolutely. It, part of it's. You know, part of it's the conflict that's gone on there. Mm -hmm. Part of it's the experiences I've had. I've been to Croatia twice. I've been to Slovenia. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I don't know. I I love that world. I love that part of the world. Yeah. I love it. And I love the people. I love the food, everything about it. Yeah. Yeah. The food is extremely cheap. Oh yeah. The beer is extremely cheap. Oh yeah. You can go to, you can find a beach somewhere that nobody's at. (laughs) Nobody's at. I mean, it's, yeah. And you can go explore the islands and you can take a ferry ride for $5. Yep. Yeah, I kind of still want to just tell people, don't go to Bosnia. Like, let's keep it the way it is. Like, oh, yeah. And then, so you just everyone goes, what do you think about Bosnia? I was like, ah, don't go there. There's landmines everywhere. You might blow up. Go somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell people to go to Croatia. Uh, I don't know. Oh, I, I mean, love it. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I, yeah. I mean, I told you to go there. When, yeah. you were, when you were like, I'm going, I was like, oh my God, yes, go. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think something else that really interests me, and I didn't get interested in this until after I went to Croatia the second time, but how much Roman influence oh, it's huge. was in Croatia yeah. and like... You learn about, um, oh, I think it was Diocletian who was a Roman emperor, and he had his palace in Split no in way. Croatia. Yeah. In and Split. You, and you can go visit his... I didn't do that. That's amazing. It's It was so cool. And it was like, I, I had no idea that there were these ancient Roman ruins in Croatia. It's, but, dude, it's crazy to think of the the kind of the uh, the old dynasties, like the Roman, Prussian, that's the why Persian like, Empire. That's like, why I like oh, going there, oh, is because yeah. you can kind of get a visual, and it's like, they were a lot more sophisticated than oh, people yeah. give them credit oh, for. Yeah. I mean, than the average person I think gives them credit for hundred percent. Like if their reach was all the way from Egypt, all the way up to the UK and from Portugal to, I mean, I don't know how far Constantinople yeah. or further East than that. Yep. Yeah. Crazy. I do. And you look at people struggling today, work remotely with all the technology we had and they manage <laughs> that on horseback and, you know, carrier pigeons. Yeah. Yeah. And people, yeah, I think, I don't know. In my mind, I always thought that, um, you know, the Roman emperor was always in Rome, mm-hmm. but Diocletian lived in Croatia yeah. and ruled from Croatia. So that's crazy. Yeah. I know looking at those ancient, I love those. Cause especially when I did that ride through Mongolia, Oh and yeah. I got to learn about like the, the Genghis Khan or Chinggis. Cause we, we pronounce it wrong cause yeah. we're idiots. Thank you, Marco Polo. <laughs> um, but Chinggis Khan and his dynasty. And you look at that and you're like, Holy shit. Yeah. And that's something that's I insane. haven't, I have not taken a deep Dude. dive on yet, oh. but I know Dan Carlin has the wrath of the cons mm-hmm. podcast and I haven't listened to it oh. yet. But. So there is a, I, I haven't listened to that. That's fantastic. There is a great, I can't remember the, the, uh, the website, but they do, they simplify complex history into like an animated piece. And it goes through the history of Chinggis Khan the, the entire path of how he got to where he was like being kicked out of the original tribe, revenge, power. Yeah. Amazing. Like yeah. it's just, and having been there and ridden, like I've been to Katakorum, I've been to the home of gang, the, the birthplace of Genghis Khan. I've been to Ulaanbaatar. I've ridden motorcycles across the Gobi desert. And it's like the place is, it makes you feel small and so humble Yeah, to stand in Karakoram, which is probably the size of Boise States. Like the, the entire of walled city in Karakoram is probably about the size of the BSU stadium. Okay. No blue turf. 
but like about the same size. Yeah. And that at one point was the largest city in the world and the wow. center of trade in the world. Wow. And so it's mind blowing. When, when was uh, Chinggis Khan alive? Oh God, I'm, you're asking me. That's a really detailed number. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have no idea. I mean, I to put it into context, I I would need to just know yeah. when it was. So but. I mean, his grandson, uh, his, either his grandson or his great grandson, started the Qing Dynasty. So okay. you got you got to go way back then. So if okay. you look at the greatest dynasties in China, they were starting from the offspring of Genghis Khan. That is crazy, crazy, right? Yeah, and I've heard like ten percent of the world's population like has DNA ties mm-hmm. to Genghis Khan. Yeah, that's nuts. <laughs> that's insane. Nuts. Yeah, I mean, when you think about the the. And talk about standing, even the horrible things that were done. Talk about standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. I can't, I, I can't imagine what it was like to be, how, how do those people exist? Yeah. I, I, I that's crazy. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so to change subjects yeah. a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, pivot, let's do it. Well, the, thinking about people like that, thinking about the Roman empire, mm-hmm. I mean, it makes me feel small. It makes mm-hmm. me feel insignificant. Completely. Um, the stuff they were able to do back then with limited technology, mind blowing, not great communication, not great internet. Um, my wife and I, we just went, we just took a trip to North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, and Nebraska. That looked awesome, by the way. It was so rad. Yeah. And I've never been to that part of the country. Mm-hmm. My wife and I said, uh, I mean, I, I'm hesitant about telling how many people like I'm traveling during COVID. <laughs> um, so whoever <laughs> listens to this, they're going to know. Um, but You're going to have haters, man. There's just nothing you can do about it. Well, we figured, you know, okay, we can't go to Buenos Aires because nope. it's a giant city. Yeah, no, so terrible idea. We're going to go to Bismarck, North Dakota. I like where, it. Where there's no one. No. Um, and we <laughs> we learned a little bit about U.S. history, but mm-hmm. but the thing that blew my mind, in Boise, you can go to the Lewis and Clark Trail. Right. In Portland, you can go to the Lewis and Clark Trail. Right. I assume somewhere in the south near Louisiana where the Louisiana Purchase took place. Mm-hmm. You can go to the Lewis and Clark Trail. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that the Lewis and Clark Trail went through North and South Dakota. Yeah. Mind-blowing to yeah. me. And, uh, you know, one of the things that my wife and I like to do when we're on these trips is I'm driving for four hours. She pulls up a Wikipedia article and reads me everything on that Wikipedia Wikipedia article. Oh, so, we, awesome. so we learn stuff together. Um, but Lewis and Clark, so they were, they volunteered for this expedition. I think they took four. 42 people with them or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Um, they took like three boats and two smaller canoes. Only one person died on the th- three year trip to Portland and back. That's nuts. And it's like, there, it was uncharted territory. Some people had gone there before and there were some notes, like they brought some notebooks with them because they, you know, wanted to know what kind of tribes they were yeah. going to run into and stuff. But it's like they left it was somewhere in the South. I don't know what city they left from, but they went up the Mississippi. They weren't expecting to hit the Rocky mountains. Yep. I mean, so they, they knew that they were going to have to carry their boats with them a lot of the way but and try no to no idea. They had no idea that they had to cross the Rocky mountains nope. and only one guy died. And I think he died like five, maybe five days into the That's trip crazy. and everybody else survived. And it's like, Okay, I need a new pair of shoes like every six months. And these are like <laughs> Nikes that, you know, I think they're good shoes, whatever. Yep. But it's like, what the hell did they pack? Yep. I mean, obviously they brought, you know, stuff to make things along the way and tools so they could, yeah. you know, if they found cows or whatever, they could tan the leather or whatever, make new stuff from that. But they brought gifts to trade with the Native Americans to yep. let them pass. Um, I, I don't know. It's just mind blowing to me that there were people like that back then. And I'm sure that there's some hard dudes now that could do that stuff for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, there are. There are. I think fewer in the U.S. I know a few of them. I got some of the guys that I was with in Afghanistan have gone full survival expert. Yeah. It's like, you know, I'm going to go out for 72 days to get my super duper survival man certification. Yeah. And like, I'm pretty sure like just I could fall back on the training I've had and transition be like, all right, I guess I have to turn into this guy and, yeah. you know, live in the woods. Like, I'm sure we I'm sure there's people that could do it. Totally. Uh, but if you look, I mean, no maps, just exploration. Yeah. 40, 42 volunteers. Insane. They kind of knew where they were going. Yeah. Um, this is why we have statues of Chicago way. This is why. Yeah, totally. Cause like without her, that, that number would not have been that way. It's, <laughs> it's mind blowing to me that they, you know, they didn't really know how long it was going to take. No. They had to create some camps and just survive mm-hmm. winter until it got warm yeah. enough for them to start going again. And yeah, yeah. that's, that's kind of those honey. I'll be back when no idea. Yeah. Three when years. I find the other side of the country. And it's interesting though, cause there were French trappers out there. There were individuals already out there yeah, living, yeah. which is crazy. Cause you think you kind of picture Lewis and Clark, like they were the first ones. Like, yeah. No, yeah, <laughs> there, there were other there, dudes. There were dudes already out there doing yeah. their thing. But there, so, there just yeah. wasn't like a formal. Yeah, like a formal yeah. trip to go plant the flag in Portland and oh, say, yeah. you know, we're here before the French are here or whatever, officially. What do you think they think of Portland right now? Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know. I Sometimes I think about like what, what would people in Congress nowadays think about people who are career politicians and oh, God. don't own a farm back home? <laughs> I just don't but, even have a job back home. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, at what point do we create our own ruling class? I don't know. I, mean, I, I, think I don't know. If 50, you, 50 years. Do I you think. want to delve into this? Oh, we can dive into it. Okay. I yeah. I, I mean, that's what that's what I do on my podcast is just try to take a uh, a critical, like, try to do a little objective reasoning with our current state and not yeah. and try to not pick a side because we all have a side. Yeah. But I think that we all want the same thing. And I think that's where we get lost. Yeah. Like we all want the exact same thing. There's nobody that wants somebody to suffer. There's nobody that wants the, the injustices that do exist in our society. We just disagree on how to get there. Yeah. And so why do we hate each other over how we want to get somewhere? Yeah. Just cause I want a different way than you doesn't mean I want somebody to suffer. And I think we've lost that. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, plus all of our politicians that have been in there for more than 20 years need to go. Yeah. I, okay. I think that's, out of there. I think that's something that 98% of America yeah. could agree on. Is term limits. Oh, yeah. And it's, and it's being presented like a hey, 98% of Americans, all of us, want you to go. But the people it's going to affect are the ones that are voting on it. Correct. There is So there is a motion right now. I think you have to do a uh, Congress of States, I think is a, the term. I may be wrong on that one. But okay. they're trying to get it together where we as states can actually institute law in the country. It takes, I think, 30 states. Like, I'm way off on the full pro- process and the whole thing. Yeah. But there is a way that we as a people do have power to write rules for Congress. It's in there. Um, and you would think that I think there is a movement to try to make that happen, but it has to, because I, I honestly think that's a, if we want to get rid of anything else, if we want to make any progress in here, we have to change the way that our governing body and this new aristocracy we've created, we have to get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I totally agree. And I think that there's certain, yeah, there's certain things that you just can't argue with and like both sides 100% agree on. Yep. And I, I know I, I mentioned this to you a couple of weeks ago yeah. when I came over to your house yeah, yeah, yeah. and you, you disagreed a little bit, but I, I truly, truly believe that the progressives and the libertarians have way more in common than they think. I think the, uh, I think this is where I think we just disagree on who the progressives are. Okay. Cause I think the liberals and the libertarians do. Cause I think the progressives have left liberalism behind. So, so yeah, maybe, maybe I'm thinking about the, I'm not thinking about AOC, Bernie. Those think, are the progressives. I'm thinking about the people that were believing in them. Yep. And then AOC and Bernie kind of sold out, and now they're ca- career politicians. And well, so AOC was, I mean, AOC is the equivalent of a back of, of like a boy band politician. Like she was created. Like yep. they picked her, found her, funded her, 
shaped her. She's a narrative. I yeah. don't even think anything she says that comes out of her mouth is actually real. She is just spitting a narrative. Like she was picked from the ground up and like cratered with millions of dollars to be who she is now. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. It's, and I think that, and it, this is an interesting piece because progressive and liberalism is really an interesting conversation because liberals, like traditional liberals are all about freedom of speech your rights. Progressives are not about that. Yeah. Progressives are, they kind of go to that kind of neo-Marxism thought process, which is like tolerance for our ideas, not the competing ideas. And the founder of neo-Marxism was a professor at Berkeley in 62 and I'm forget his name, yeah. but he was very clear. He's like, no tolerance for our ideas, no tolerance for theirs because they might be right. And we can't have that. It is about a post. It is about a process. It is really about that. And you can't, you cannot shudder half the people's ideas and dismiss them and criticize them. And literally, I mean, at this point with cancel culture, we're watching people's ideas on differing opinions that shouldn't cause an issue are costing people their jobs and their lives. Yeah. That's not okay. Yeah. And so you can't be a progressive and still tell me that you stand up for what we stand for when you support that culture. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. I I think cancel culture, I mean, it scares the shit out of me. Oh, totally. Um, I think it scares the shit out of a lot of people that, I hang out with a lot of people I Mm -hmm. associate with on a daily basis because I mean something you said 15 years ago or something you did in college, like one time you're going to let that define who you are as a person. Thank God social media didn't exist when I was in college. (laughs) But, but I just don't understand, you know, if a politician stays the same way their whole career Mm -hmm. for some reason, that's a good thing. Yeah, it's terrible. But if a politician does something different in the 80s, then they do something a little bit different in the 90s, and then now they have a whole new view on things, people call them a flip-flopper. And it's like, didn't they learn and progress and they they well, I took think, in new facts and they learned something new? But I think I think the point you just said, I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. And I think Joe Biden is an example. Now, I think Joe Biden is absolutely a terrible candidate. I don't think he can barely put thing, two things together. I think it's yeah. the halls in question, but that's I my think, personal opinion. I think everyone agrees on that. Yeah, I mean, I I've, I've that, talked to people who are just saying, like, I'm voting for his vice president. I was like, Jesus Christ, that's where we're at? We don't even know who his vice president no, is. But, they, but they've said that. I've heard people literally say, just tell me who the vice president is so I can vote for them. I was like, that's not a good thing. Yeah. Because he does have to pretend to be the president for at least six months yeah. um, before he fakes a death or whatever's going to happen. <laughs> um, before, or, you know, sorry, before he commits suicide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Hillary becomes the new <laughs> vice president after the other vice president. Well, I don't know. There's, there's, we can go conspiracy theory all yeah, you oh, want yeah. on that one. Oh. But I think the, the key point to that and, and to kind of to circle back to Biden being an example of the flip-flopper is because you have a man who had absolutely horrendous racial comments. I mean, he was a racist in the 70s. Mm-hmm. I mean, referring to segregated schools as taking sentence because it's the jungle. Yeah. Um, you have a picture of him with Robert Byrd, who was an actual KKK recruiter until he ran for Congress. So he w- was he Alabama? Uh, I think he was Alabama, okay. somewhere in the South. One of yeah. those Southern, one of those good old, good old boy Southern Democrat. Yeah. Uh, and so, and he was in the KKK until he's like, well, I can't be in the KKK and run for Congress. So he just, I'm just not in the KKK anymore. Yeah. I runs for Congress. Was in Congress till 89. Yeah. And so you have a picture of these two together. If that was me on the right, can you imagine if Donald Trump had a picture with someone that used to be in the KKK yeah. and they were hanging out and they're best buddies and saying they're good people. Yeah. He can't, you, it, he'd be done. Yeah. So, to your piece, I agree. I think we have to give people the room to change. Yeah. I think that needs to be there. Um, but you have to do it to both sides. Oh, yeah. And so I'm, it has I'm to not to both saying, sides. And it's not, it's not happening. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a partisan thing mm-hmm. that one side should be treated differently than the other. Right. But 
both of them should be treated the but, same. But here's my thought too on, on politics. Like I think the point we're having is moot because we both decided that after 20 years, they shouldn't be there anyway. So you yeah. get 20 years and I don't know how much you're going to change in 20 years. You might gain some experience, make wiser decisions after that. I don't need like Biden's been in what? 42 years now. Yeah. 71. That's Are insane. you kidding me? Yeah. So 30, what is that? 39 years. Get out of here. That's 39 my, years. <laughs> yeah. That's I'm going to change things. I didn't do it in the last 39 years, but I got it now. Yeah. Get out of my house. Yeah. Get out of here. The, uh, what's mind blowing to me too is how, I mean, I, I don't know how much I want to get into this because I'm mm-hmm. trying not to inject my personal politics. It's hard, isn't it? Into the podcast. Same, same on me. Yeah. But I'm, I'm trying to look at things objectively. Yep. So we had a black president. Yep. Joe Biden was his VP. VP. Yep. Um, not a lot changed. No. I mean, they started more wars than George W. Bush started. Ooh, but they weren't formal. Dropped more bombs, killed more. I mean, we had Americans killed. I mean, drone strike city. So Are there's no, there's no quote unquote boots on the ground. Yeah. So you have, and, and having, I've served under, I served, I've served under three presidents, yeah. like four different secretaries of state. And so it's an interesting thing to see the foreign policy. Uh, and I think foreign policy is important. And from my experience and expertise, that's where I really sit on presidential. Cause I think domestically should be managed by the States. Yeah. Foreign policy is the, is the job of the nation. So when I look at the government, I look at their foreign policy. President Barack Obama's foreign policy was abysmal. And that was the opinion. I mean, I remember talking to hardcore liberals like, we can't wait until he's out of here because is this flip-flop, red line, no red line, clandestine program here. We didn't tell somebody about back program here. If you talk to anybody that worked in Syria underneath President Obama, how much of a disaster. I mean, it was an absolute disaster. And so just there were multiple programs running different things, fighting each. I mean, it was, it was terrible because yeah. there was a lack of clear, like there was no commitment and it comes back to the politics thing, right? So we have politicians. We've created this ruling class of politicians on both sides. And I want to caveat, this is both sides. I yeah. use President Obama because I think he's a good example of this because he's a fantastic politician. Yeah, That dude's an animal of a politician, a very smart man. Yeah, But when you look at politicians, and this is where I really hate the term leaders because the president's supposed to be a leader. Hey, congressman, you're a politician. You're supposed to be our representative. You're not a leader. Yeah. So don't sell yourself as one. And the other side of it, if you're a leader, you can't be a politician. There's that piece in there because you have to be able to make definitive decisions. See, and, and, and this tough. is, I've done this thought experiment before too, mm-hmm. because it's almost like, I mean, it's obviously like running a business. Yes. And if you think about, I mean, I, I don't know exactly how they do it in other countries, but usually there's the, you know, prime minister and then, yep. so there's the bean counter and then there's the John Wayne guy who gets up <laughs> and he's the rah, rah, rah guy yeah. in front. But then there's a the guy that he works with yeah. that's actually you know, not, I don't want to say pulling all the strings from behind, mm-hmm. but the person that knows how things work right? and the John Wayne guy can turn to that guy and say, how do we implement this Completely. realistically? Yeah. So I, I mean, I don't know if there's a way to implement something like that or if that's what it is. I see. I think that's what it is, but that's what, so I think talking like kind of transitioning to politics and COVID, I think is a good piece to this. And yeah. this is my, my own thing again, going through this thought process. Cause I've been insanely frustrated at our yeah. leadership. So when you talk about what you just said, and you got to look at, so I think the Trump administration is like 4,000 people. So you got to look at that. So when you, when you come in as president, you have to fill 4,000 jobs. Yeah. That's it's crazy, right? Crazy. 4,000. Yeah. So that's when I hear the narrative of like, and I'm not I'm like, let me caveat. I'm not a Trump fan. I'm just using these examples because they stand out. Yeah. Um, and it's current and it's current yeah. and it's current. Um, and so when you look at like when he didn't fill his, uh, he can't fill his administration. He's worthless. His administration is 4,000 people. You think you really needed all of them? Yeah. How long does it, how long does it take for another Seriously. president? And then, to fill? and most of those, that most of those have to be confirmed. Yeah. So like you can pick somebody and someone in Congress and be like, no, yeah. why? Because I don't like you. Yeah. But anyway, so let's, let's go back to what we were talking about. 
So you have all of these experts, right? And everyone says, listen to the experts. So you have a policy expert, you have your education, you have all these different experts that sit in there and they tell you their input, right? And then as a leader, you're supposed to pick to it. Like, okay, if I do this, how does this impact you? If I write this policy, how does it impact you? Here yeah. we go. So with COVID, and this has been my frustration from the beginning, it's like, yes, absolutely, we should listen to the medical experts. They should not be in charge. Yeah. And and we've given them that piece. We've delegated here in Boise in Ada County. Yeah. Central District Health is deciding where they roll everything. And that's not okay. That is not how the governor has failed on this. Yeah. Because, hey, guess what? Central District Health gives you a recommendation as a medical professional, as a board of medical professionals, and they should. If I talk to a doctor and you work in the healthcare field, yeah. if you talk to a doctor and you ask him to make a decision on saving lives, what's he going to do? He's going to save lives. Yeah. That's what he is. He's dedicated his entire life to saving lives. He's going to do the best thing possible to save lives. Yeah. Is that the right thing from a policy perspective? Yeah. How does that impact our long-term economic health? How does that impact our society? How does this make a change on education? A leader and a politician has to make that decision. One of our elected representatives, our elected leaders, needs to listen to the doctor, listen to the policy experts, listen to education, listen to everyone, and be like, shit, I'm going to make a decision that's going to cost people their lives, but in the long run, I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. What we've fallen back on is the delegation of authority to trust the experts, and it happens on both sides. Like The right's not screaming it, but they're doing it, Yeah. and you have this two easy buttons, right? Yeah. We're going to roll back in lockdown. As a doctor said it. He's right. Hey, we're going to roll back in lockdown. That's what we have to do. Uh, okay, why? Yeah. What's the strategy? Are we just going to wait this out? Like, Because there's no strategy there saying like, hey, we're going to roll back and keep doing this until we get a vaccine and we can achieve herd immunity through a vaccine. Yeah. Okay, that's the plan. How yeah. long is that? Two years? We're going to do this for two years, but you owe us that. You owe me that as my leader. Yeah. You need to tell me like, this is why I'm doing this. Here's how. You may not like it, but I think this is best for us. And I go, well, I may disagree with you, but you owned it. You took it. What we get now is letters from Central District Health telling us what's going to happen. Yeah. Business owners being like, this is opposite of what you told us the other day. I was like, yeah, well, it changed. I saw the numbers. I called them. I've called my county commissioners. I've called the Central District Health. I've called the city council. I'm like, I want to understand who's making the decisions, how they're going. Yeah. And I talked about, hey, but aren't these most, most of these people younger? The response I got from Central District Health, well, they could get someone else sick. I was like, that's fine. Where's my elected leader telling me that this is the consideration? If you're telling me you're rolling it back, you're shutting down businesses. You're changing your life that I need to adjust my life for the betterment of society. You need to tell me why. Yeah. And you need to tell me what the end state is. Yeah. And so we have this easy button. Well, I have officially put an ordinance in that says you must wear a mask. Yeah. Oh, that's a great leader. Thank <laughs> you. I'm not, I'm not arguing against masks. Yeah. But I'm saying that is an easy button. Hey, we're going to roll back. Doctor said so. Easy button. Boop. I am now officially a leader. Yeah. You have not done the analysis. You have not put yourself out there as a leader and said why you're doing it. And I think the the thing that I was and I'll close off my tirade here because I've jumped on a goddamn. <laughs> no, 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 you're box. good. I, um, I, I, the thing that always told me is like, as a leader, you can delegate responsibility, or you can delegate authority. You can never delegate responsibility. Buck stops with you. Buck stops with you, and we've lost that because now it is blame, blame, blame. Hide everything in delegation to random places like a board of doctors at Central District Health that can just roll it back with a letter without even a public announcement. Yeah. Boards of county commissioners that are fighting over how to deal with it. Political lines that are drawn so hard in the sand that this is political. And as long as it's a political thing and people can say it's a public health issue because it is, we will never come together as a society until a leader stands up and says, this is what I'm doing. This is why. And I'm willing to take the hit if I'm wrong, but I need you to do it with me. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think that's why a lot of people are frustrated with Trump too, because mm -hmm. during the COVID thing, I mean, I, I pay a lot of attention to what's going on in the Completely. world. I pay a lot of attention to politics and if you know, Trump's going to do an oval office address, which I don't think he has even done one yet. Maybe one. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. But I thought with the Black Lives Matter stuff with COVID, maybe there would have been one. So the Black Lives, we can, let's well, let's stick to one because then we can go to Black Lives Matter too. That's an interesting conversation. Okay, but but yeah. what I was gonna say is, I mean, I've I've watched HW's oh, yeah. uh, addresses, GW, <laughs> um, and how's, I've watched how's my Americans doing. <laughs> well, I've watched Reagan's addresses from the old oh, offices. Um, I've watched Clinton. Yeah, Clinton, all of them. Yeah, yeah, all of them. And I, I thought there was a month there where I was like, okay, mm-hmm. when is Trump's address going to come from the Oval Office? Yep. And I didn't see it. And that was kind of, it was concerning to me. Um, it's not a style. I agree with you. I yeah. totally agree with you. I think I think that's something there's there's but, a lack but like, of leadership. But 100%. like you said, if, if the direct address, telling the people exactly what's yep. going on, you know, how we need to come together, those types of things, even yep. if they're just talking points, but he's saying it to everyone, yep. directly addressing them. I so, think that that shows leadership and I didn't see that. So I think there's an interesting piece and in, in you have to go. And again, I have to caveat because everyone thinks I'm sticking up for Trump and I yeah. hate because I think the, the what he represents and the, the persona that he is, I'm not a fan of in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think it's terrible and it's divisive. Yeah. And that's what I think. I mean, maybe Trump is the bean counter guy mm. and, and no? I actually, I actually, he's the hype man for sure. hundred okay. percent the hype man. Yeah. And he has a different flavor for it, but you watch he's a hype man. He gets his base. The, galvanized the only reason well he gets his he's never going to bring everyone together he that's what i'm saying is if if barack obama or if trump had the same exact policies he said the same things but he said it in the way that barack obama did do you think the country would come together a little bit more no no, because the the the, the establishment hates him and i'm talking both sides yeah i mean you you, he came out and if you go through this it's interesting and again he made some major mistakes when he did the travel ban in January, January 30th, he yeah. instituted a travel ban. He mentioned COVID in the state of the union where Nancy Pelosi was tearing up the speech. Yeah. And he said, Hey, we're going to attack this. We're going to come after it. January 30th, 31st, he institutes a travel ban against China. What does everyone on the other side do? Tell him it's racist, tell racist, him it's terrible. xenophobic. This does, I, I had people tell me, I was like, Hey, he's doing something I'm like it doesn't work. Blasted him. And now what are they saying? You should have stopped it from Europe too. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think, and I, he plays the game very well and the media hates him because he plays their game and he's angry and he's, he's I mean, he's direct. <laughs> dude, dude has stones. Yeah. He goes after it. See that, that's another thing to me. Like, okay. Uh, Sean Spicer. Oh, Mackin, McInerney or oh, whatever her name is. Kaylee Mack, Kaylee McInerney. She's an animal. Bro. And then who was the other gal? Uh, Sarah Sanders, Sarah Sanders. So those three, I don't know how the hell, they do that job. I can actually see you maybe doing that job. Oh God, no! <laughs> do you see the level of organization McEnany has? It's insane. I she's saw dude. She's good. Somebody took an up close picture yeah. of her binder. The tabs. The tabs. And Did you see they actually put it out as a bad thing? Yeah. That's, and this and but this goes back to it. Like and so the the theme so, of, so, sorry for being prepared and being ready. I, it sounds yeah. like you were prepared for that question. Yes, that's my job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I don't know if you know this. That's my job. Yeah. But it's it it's come down to is it is a war and and so I'm working on a project with a friend where we're talking about really the current regime and if you want to look at unconventional warfare, the regime we're fighting is not the U.S. government. It's not the Democrats. Not the Republicans. The media. Period. Yeah. And that's both sides because the media is the single greatest driver. And you're talking social media, everything that is driving our discourse in this country. And it is fractured and broken. Yeah. If you watch the, uh, Oh, I can't remember her name. And I wish I did the, uh, the woman that was recently fired from the New York times. Oh, uh, beer, beery. Oh my gosh. Beady. Yeah. I know. I know who you're I'm talking about. about. She lit that place on fire yeah. with that letter going out of what an abomination it is. Yeah. And that's, that's supposed to be the bastion of journalism. Like we've lost the actual thought process of journalism in this country. And I get in arguments. I find people sticking up for it. Like it's really there. You just have to find it. I was like, that's great. That's not how it should be. The, the, the people, the only people you can trust, I think in journalism right now 
are, I mean, there's a few people out there. There's some podcasts that I listen to, mm-hmm. but it's the independent journalists that have their own YouTube yes. channels. Yes. Oh, completely. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I like the people that like, I, I like the Daily Wire. I listen to them a lot. They're conservative. I share some of their viewpoints. Yeah. But they straight up say like, hey, we're a conservative news source. Yeah. Now, I'm not fair and balanced. Okay. I'm not anything else. Like I want someone to tell me, hey, I am a left-leaning Democrat news source. I don't like the right. Here's my opinion. Yeah. I don't want you to tell me you're a journalist and then skew it with an opinion. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's too and much. And what, what is CNN's uh, oh, tagline? Is it? I don't know if it's CNN it's, or if I it's Fox, it's, but uh, fair and balanced. Fair and balanced is Fox. I think CNN transitioned theirs to "I'm a steaming pile of shit." <laughs> I think that's what they did. Um, but, but you could like, say that for most everyone out there too. I I, I was so surprised. Um, I actually Googled positive positive Trump article from CNN, and I found one. Yeah. Um, and it said like, I think it said 96% of articles yep. written by CNN about Trump have been negative. negative. Correct. Um, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And My favorite is the corrections on CNN. Like if you go back to hydroxychloroquine is a great one. Remember when Trump came out, hydroxychloroquine is going to make a difference. Yeah. I think it was April 20th. There's a like hydroxychloroquine was a failure and dangerous. Here's what Trump got wrong. July 20th. Hydroxychloroquine extends life for it. Like, and it was like, cause you had fake papers written. You had all this other crazy shit. Yeah. And it's interesting coming from a practitioner of unconventional warfare of destabilizing countries yeah. to look at it and be like, you see it. Happen. Oh, I, I, anyone I talk to that's, and there are people that are way more versed than I am. Yeah. They're all sitting there going, dude, this is insane. Yeah. And even if it's not being done or actively driven, like if it is just driven by the discourse and the, the feelings in the country of where we're at, it is being exploited by all of our adversaries yeah. and it is crazy to see it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's scary to me and it's scary to me. It's terrifying. Ah, Oh my God. I, so I was chatting with somebody who I, I disagree with. It's not that I politically disagree with them. I disagree with the principles. Well, that's a big disagreement. Well, the, 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 I shouldn't say their principles. I I should say their thought process about how they view things. Okay. Um, and I, I told this person the other day, I said, just like all things in life, we're talking about something separate from politics, but I alluded to politics. And I said, just like all things in life, you have to look at all different sources, right? And take them all in and make an informed decision for yourself. Yep. You can't just listen to one source. And the person said to me, they said, I think that comes from a place of privilege. And I, I was oh like, my God. How, how does making an informed oh, decision no. or not listening, listening to more so than one source. It's actually past your privilege. It's your, it's your whiteness. I have you seen, I don't even, do, I don't even know if I want to go there, you, but you need to, you need to Google. And, and regardless of the opinion, you have to look at the uh, anti-racism, anti-whiteness, and that's the name of it, training program from the Wash- from the Seattle city, like the city employees had to go to, just yeah. the white ones. Yeah. And then you have to look at the pamphlet that was released by the African History Museum from the Smithsonian. Yeah. And you look at those things and you have to go down that line. And I think everyone needs to read it and needs to ask themselves, is this the country we want to go with? Is, yeah. it, is it okay to do these things? And one way or the other, you look at Nick Cannon, who said some insanely th- insane things about a race of people based on the color of their skin. And we've all come, we've, we've for the last 30 years in civil rights and everything else, you cannot judge somebody by something that's out of their control, right? Yeah, that's yeah. the basic theme. Yeah. And it's, that's changing. And that's not good. It's not good yeah. because you cannot, oh God. See, I, see it's, the, thing, it's, it's the thing is, I mean, I know, I know Nick Cannon was talking about, I think he was talking about the, the Jews. No, this, that's the funny part. Listen to the whole thing. Okay. He actually says white people don't have any melanin and melanin creates soul. So there's oh. no soul. So white people are soulless and the only way they can maintain power is by raping, pillage and killing. White people are animals is literally what he said. Yeah. The only thing he got hammered for was talking about 
anti-Semitism because you can bash white people as a race. You cannot bash the Jews. Yeah. I, I thought, yeah, I guess the, the talking point I heard was the black Israelite thing. Oh yeah. And how they're yep. the and main, that's, that's the, what got him fired, but it wasn't the other con. You got to listen to the whole thing. But the thing is like, I think Nick Cannon can have his own personal opinions 100%. on his podcast and it shouldn't affect, I mean, unless he's like directly threatening someone, yeah, he shouldn't get fired for that. No, he should. Because yeah. as a public person, and, and again, should or shouldn't, I agree with you. He can say whatever the hell he wants, but it goes down to this. You can say whatever you want. You do have to understand there's repercussions. Yeah. Now you get that repercussion, people yelling at you, whatever else you shouldn't get canceled. But when you go down to being a public person, your brand is your money. Your value is who you are as a brand. Yeah. So they can remove you if you no longer bring the value to the organization. Yeah. Now again, I, you and I are anti-cancel culture. So is this cancel culture? I see. And that's, I don't know. I mean, I guess I would never, if I said something that extreme, which right. I never would, mm-hmm. um, I guess I'd maybe expect to get fired from my job. Yeah. But I mean, having an opinion about religion or something, yeah. I mean, I, I just, or saying that you're pro political party one way or the other, right. if you get fired for that, that's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. I agree. But if it's, I mean, if, if it, if he took it a little bit further and either directly threatened or judged people directly because of their race, well, I think that that's we, totally different. I agree. And I think because we have those societal norms, right? And yeah. these are the things we've all prescribed to. Like we agree. Racism is absolutely horrendous. Yeah. Oh, Saying, yeah. It's horrendous. Like, and so you shouldn't participate in that. And if you do, then you're a, the society has consequences. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, we're not going to take away freedom of speech. I don't think hate speech is a thing. But like you do, like there are societal consequences for the things you say, and I think those checks and balances need to exist within reason. Yeah. But it has to be those those things that are just so far out of bounds. I think it's called the uh, Orwell. It's not the Orwellian. When is it? Um. Oh, it's the it's not the Orwellian window. It starts with an O. Anyway, there's a specific window in journalism which is like, hey, this is acceptable. Yeah. You can say these things. It's a societal window. It's supposed to exist. Yeah. Uh, Overton window. The okay. Overton window. And so you have the Overton window, which is like society accepts these this like what realm of speech this this spectrum when you ex- when you go outside that overton window there's you know checks and balances like hey uh, new york times this is our overton window we're not going to print outside of this every publisher has that yeah that exists in free speech too where you say something like people are going to look at you like hey we're going to police you up yeah and i think it should happen on a personal level like if i said something that was that was outside of that window for our existence as friends then yeah you should police me up call, I call you out on it call me out on it and society yeah. should police those up i do think there are specific lines that are so far out of that overton window where society is acceptable like hey you come up with something really, really racist. And I'm not talking about Jimmy Kimmel dressing up as Chris Rock in blackface. Yeah. Like doing a comedian such 20 years ago when it was perfectly acceptable at that time. Yeah. So you have to look at things in the the spectrum of what that Overton window was at that time. Yeah. Um, but right now, like we cannot allow things of race to creep into that window because it fits a common narrative. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's rough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I I guess I'll have to go look at the Nick uh, Nick Cannon thing. But somebody saying, I mean, somebody being fired because they're a Trump supporter. Oh, ridiculous! Or somebody being fired because they. I mean, I don't know. I got so much stuff racing through my head right now, and I don't know <laughs> wh- which direction to go. But I do hate that certain symbols have turned into such a divisive thing. Yes, like uh, flying the American flag somehow is racist now. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. So when Debbie and I were in North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, I mean, 
surprised me how many black people were in North Dakota. It oh, yeah. really did surprise oh, of me. Of course. Um, but we went to Theodore Roosevelt National Park. We stayed in a little town called Medora. Okay. Um, and we went and watched this show about, I mean, it was like dancing and cowboys and fireworks and like how Teddy Roosevelt came in and saved the national parks and stuff right. and how proud they were of that area. And it was like, like it was to me, it was like watching a rodeo about America. Oh, I love that. And it was like, you know, they thanked all the veterans that were in the stands and then we turned and they did the star spangled banner. I mean, it was like, it made me so proud to be an American being yep. in that part of the country. And it's like, okay, contrast what we did in Medora, North Carolina with what's going on in Seattle or Portland yep. or Berkeley or New York city, yep. wherever the heck. Um, it, it doesn't even feel like the same place. Like no. you get in trouble for waving an American flag, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Which what it stands. I mean, you can argue that the, you know, founding fra founding fathers didn't operate under the principles that they wrote, yep. but are we going to rewrite those principles based on what they did or if they didn't act under those principles, but they acted under what was accept acceptable for their time. So I think I agree. I completely agree. And I, but I think you have to go back down to, and this gets not really conspiratorial, but when you look at it, what's the end state? Is the end state to remove any barriers for specific race, color, creed, gender, sex? Yeah. Is the idea to create an equitable playing field as best as you can? Because we're not equal. Like yeah. I would never be a lineman for Boise State. I will never beat you at powerlifting. See, that's what I'm saying is like when you get into these nuances, mm -hmm. it seems so stupid to argue these things. Yeah. It's like, is the NBA racist because there's more black people than white people? And people will be like, oh, no, no. And But it's like, well... Clearly, it favors some people over other people, super tall people, super athletic mm -hmm. people. Um, they say the same thing about hockey because it's primarily, but they've actually made that argument that hockey's racist because it's more white people than black. That That is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, is, yeah. Is, uh, is soccer racist because more people from Central and South America play it than white people? That's exactly the thought process. I mean, I, I just, it blows my mind that people can draw these conclusions. Um, well, you, did you see the change in definition for race? No. So the Webster's Dictionary says race was originally the belief that in one race is superior of another, right? Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, shifted. That, now it's based on power. That's what I heard yep. is it's it's a systemic thing or whatever so now. So here's, here's my theory on systemic, and I think that we can probably put this to bed before we start going down our own personal viewpoints. Yeah. When you look at a system as a whole, you have to break apart that system and rebuild it. If the system, if the system itself is broken and corrupt, then you have to weed it out and break it apart. Yeah. But you also don't have to look at the issues internal to it because I don't think, I personally believe that the Constitution is the single greatest political document ever written. And if you look at the changes, you do I, do, I do believe that 100%. Okay. I, I'm, at some point, I wanted to bring that up too. Yeah. How many people have modeled their constitutions after the, after the United States Constitution? Oh God, I couldn't even tell you. A ton. I, I mean, we're a the ton. single, I think we're the longest running except for like, I think one single small aristocracy somewhere in the world. Yeah. We're the longest running government and under a single document yeah. in history, yeah, which is crazy. And because I, I would always say we're a young country and I had, I was corrected in Bosnia by someone was like, no, you guys are the example of a long running. And I was like, God damn. It also scares me because it means like, Hey, we're kind of pushing the boundaries here. Yeah. yeah. But when you, so I think, and I think a key part of this and people are bashing on Thomas Jefferson. So the original life, liberty and property was the original writing of that statement. Yeah. And Jefferson, who who's a slave owner from the South, he looked at it and he goes, no, because property is going to go directly to slavery. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So they wrote a blank check. And I think that's the best way to look at the Constitution. They yeah. wrote a blank check 
for us to be better than them and for our children and like for the generations to grow and get better. I mean, we went from a country that used slavery as a primary mechanism to abolishing it in a civil war in 100 years. Yeah. Yeah. hundred years. Yeah. We, we, we completely changed the way our society functioned in a hundred years and we killed 500,000 of our own citizens to do it. Yeah. So stop telling me that the history of that, like there is a absolute, the single greatest sin is slavery. And it's been around since the dawn of time. Yeah. That is a brutal piece of our history that we should never forget. And we should educate our people. And we also have to educate how we got to where we are today and the strides that we've made in a short period of time. Yeah. I'm with you a yeah. thousand percent. I think, I think schooling Public schools, to a certain extent, are lacking this. Yes. Um, I didn't learn jack shit about history when I went to college. No. I had to take stupid prerequisites like a couple math classes, a couple science classes for a criminal justice degree. And it's like, okay, f- if I'm studying criminal justice, maybe I should have some context about the laws in our country, <laughs> yeah. um, why we're here, how we got here, how the Idaho Constitution was drafted, those types of things. Um, but I... I I see our education lacking in history yes. and teaching us how we got here, just like you said. Well, it's, but it comes down to revisionist history, right? Who writes the history? How do we look there? And, and I remember the conversations I've had from my daughter and listening to what she's learning about Native Americans and the process. And she came back and she's like, Daddy, I feel bad because all of us, we just we killed all the Indians. All the white people did. I was like, stop. Yeah. Like, this is a conversation. Like, there's a nuance there. We did horrible things. So did the Indian. So did the Native Americans. So did everything else. Yeah. And I think a big mistake that people make is saying we. Yeah. It's like exactly. us, us as white people, yeah. we came here and did this. And it's like, uh, no, the British yep. people came here. Like I'm Czechoslovakian and German. Exactly. And my grandma, my great grandma came over to work on the railroad yep. in Nebraska. It's like. Yeah. Cause so, since you're part German, we should hold the Holocaust against you as well. See, that's what I was going to say is like, <laughs> okay, all these gorgeous Roman ruins yep. around the Adriatic were all built by slaves. Are yep. they going to go tear those down because it reminds people of slavery? That's exactly it. Yeah. I, well, just, I think it comes down to is, and I love the theory of like build back. If you don't think this teaches the right lesson, build the thing next to it that does. Yeah. Like let's, let's build, let's not destroy. It's easy to destroy. It's tough to build. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you, man. Like how do we, we cannot move forward if we're stuck in the past. Yeah. So tell me, I mean, tell me what like that's, and it comes down to the whole thing, like even from politics to where we're at is what do you want the future to, t- to look like? Yeah. Tell me where you want to get to. Tell me what the issue is. And we can go down to the fundamental thing. Cause I think the division is, is to me, I see it as two things. It is economy or uh, equality of outcome versus equality of opportunity. Yeah. And if you want equality of outcome, I will fight you and die on that hill because that will never work. It will never happen. It doesn't exist. And I don't want to live in a society like that. And inevitably it will fail. Bourgeoisie is going to get the power and they're going to put the rest of us in our place. It's the, I I was talking to a good friend of mine who's way smarter than I am super talented. And uh, he said, how can all of these very wealthy people be pushing socialism? It's because they crave power and they crave something beyond the influence that they hold. Yeah. And so when you have a ton of money, what's next power yeah. and real power. And, and, and I had this conversation with him. If you haven't stood in the room with real power, if you haven't listened to conversations that literally changed the, and I've sat in the room and been privy to conversations and decisions that affect hundreds of thousands of people the next day, yeah, their lives, who lives, who dies. If you haven't sat in there and understood true power, you one, don't understand the world you live in. And two, you don't understand the allure of it. You don't understand what people will do to get it and what they will do to hold it. And it is, there is a piece of human nature that is dark. Yeah. Period. There's, we've done amazing things. We've grown it. But if you look at our history, everything we've done that's amazing, there's six or seven things beneath that that are absolutely horrendous. And you're like, we did these things. Mm -hmm. And again, we, not me particularly, but human beings. Because I think the one thing we can agree on, we're all human beings. Yeah. 
So I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, I just think the riots that are going on, the inequities that people are seeing, Mm -hmm. I think, and I, I never thought I was going to get into this on my podcast (laughs) and, and give, and give my, my personal view on it. But my personal view is the anger is directed at the wrong people. Correct. Oh my God. Yes. It's, it's like they're, they're trying to get all of us to fight each other. Yes. When the few elite that are running the show, that's who we should be mad at. And obviously, I mean, term limits might be the first step that we could massively first step. Um, we have to take the power back. Yeah. And I, I like what you said about, um, it's easy to tear down. It's hard to build, which is the exact same thing as saying what I was going to say is, it's easy to point out what's wrong. It's hard to provide solutions to those yep. things that are wrong. Well, you know, I think that goes to the term that I hate most right now is when people tell me I'm an activist. I hate that term because <laughs> because it's become synonymous with protesting and t- pointing out things wrong. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, the environmental activist is not the person that tells you the river's dirty. Yeah. It's the person that cleans it up. Yeah. And we've lost that. Yeah. So you have people screaming about issues and injustices. It's like, but what's the issue? Yeah. Like, and I, I don't mean like, Hey, okay. I see your, I see your argument. I may disagree with him, but tell me how you want to fix it yeah. because I will have a discussion every single day about finding a solution to a problem that you believe because there is perception and perception has real weight on society. If there is a perceived slight, we need to address it either as removing the slight from the, from your visibility, from your purview or fixing the problem to get to where we need to go. Yeah. And that's not happening. We're not having that discussion. And I think a lot of it comes back to education. Like we have a lot of very ignorant people that do not understand what they're yelling about. They don't understand what they're screaming about. They haven't looked at the numbers. They haven't looked at basic data and they're not going down that conversation. And I think the movements right now are stuck in that where you have people that are just using anger and hatred and they're spinning it and pushing it in a certain direction for their own personal needs and their own personal desires for power. Yeah. And that is the drive. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, you know, we could talk about virtue signaling and <laughs> making ourselves feel better for saying certain oh God, things yeah. and putting ourselves in a certain position that make us feel virtuous or whatever. Oh, yeah. And it's a lot harder to have a, a tough conversation with someone um, than it is to just say, like, I'm on this side or I'm well, on completely. that side or whatever. Um, it's hard to look in the mirror. And I think any good person has done at some point, looked in the mirror and be like, God, I feel like I'm actually kind of a piece of shit. Or I may be wrong. And I think the, the amount of information we have, not sorry to cut you off. No, you're but, good. But the amount of information we have right now, it is so easy to do a quick Google search for what your perspective is and have it validated. Yep. Yep. And then regurgitate that back in the argument. And then the next person that you're arguing with does the same thing, but you never actually look and question your own, your own paradigm. Yeah. And if you don't question your paradigm, you don't grow. You yeah. just get become more and more rooted in your own, like it's that damn echo chamber. And it happens on both sides. Like yeah. this is, it's synonymous with the left right now because the right uses the shit out of it, but the right does it too. We have to step out of our echo chamber and not be afraid to look in the mirror and be like, you know, I'm not perfect. I've screwed some things up. I might be wrong about a few things here. Maybe the solution is different than what I think, or maybe the problem actually does exist. Yeah. But you have to have that conversation. I tell you what, man, it's hard. Dude, it's hard I, to look in the mirror and say, I'm fucked up. I, I struggle. I struggle a lot with that because I have, you know, I have friends on both sides and I, yep. I mean, I like to consider myself a libertarian. I have very liberal social views um, and I have some conservative views. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if it's, if it's conservative to say that I like guns and I don't want to pay a lot of taxes, I mean, that's are those, pretty libertarian. Are those extreme things in some places? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that's mind blowing to me, but it's like, Okay, if I see if if people actually looked 
you know, the state gives you your property taxes or yep. the county gives you your property taxes back and you look at where your money's going, I think a lot of people, if they actually read that, they'd oh, be like, brutal. what the fuck? Yeah. Like, why are, why are my tax dollars going to these certain things? Yep. And, you know, when the Pentagon displaces a bunch of money and they say, oh my God, we lost all this. Six, six trillion dollars, six billion dollars unaccounted for, or not, not, not properly accounted for. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's mind blowing mm-hmm. to me. And then like money that's taken out of my paycheck yep. is lost. It's like, okay, well, I'd rather be in my paycheck than, I mean, is that an extreme view? No, <laughs> I but, don't it, think but it comes to, I think it comes down to, and I talked to everybody are like the government should run healthcare. I was like, have you ever worked with the government? Yeah. I was like, do you want the healthcare to look like the DMV? And yeah. I'm not saying like, let's not find a system that make sure everyone has healthcare. Cause it's a huge thing. Like that human right versus privilege thing. I, I can get on that. I can get on board with that conversation. Yeah. But have you ever, like, I've been a part of government healthcare and yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, I've been a part of the government that spends a lot of money. <laughs> I've been a part of the government where like, here's a box of cash to use on your projects. Yeah. Like it is an interesting thing when people are outside and it's funny to me and this is hilarious. And I think it goes back to the confusion and the lack of knowledge and naivete, ignorance, whatever you want to call it. Hey, I want to disband the police department. They suck at their job. They probably have one of the clearest jobs. It's very, very hard, but it's yeah. a pretty clear job of what we want police to do. Yeah. The government is failing at this. By the way, we want you to take over a you know $1.6 trillion a year medical industry and run that for us. Yeah. You can barely give me my driver's license in a month. Yeah. So you don't, you don't trust the cops to come in and help out with certain yeah. situations. You don't trust border patrol. You don't trust secret nope. service. You don't trust CIA, nope. all that stuff. But yeah, you want them to run this yeah. other thing. Exactly. And it's like, you know, you have to be 21 to buy a cigarette. I want you to be 16 to smoke. Um, Hey, you can't have a gun, but the cops can have the guns, but we don't like the cops either. They can't have like the, the entire argument. They're so circular and so hypocritical. And again, I'm not trying to de- like, detract from the real discussions that have to happen and it goes back to our leaders but i think it goes back to what i've been fighting against and trying to get is the narrative and the media yeah because when you talk systemic and i have a heart i have a problem with this term because it says everything it says we have to hate the the american flag it says we have to get ripped down the national anthem it says we have to rip down the founding fathers and the shoulders that we stood on to get here yeah but instead of why don't we just look at what happened yeah like and it's pretty easy to look But the problem is, is when you look at what happened, you can pretty much draw the line to almost three things. You've got the war on drugs, which is pretty much driven by Nixon. And that's, I would say, arguably racist and and Republican. Totally. Uh, Then you can look at the Crime Act of 1994, 93, uh, written by Joe Biden, signed by Bill Clinton. Yeah. Uh, And then you can go down to, um, I think it was LBJ and his Great Society, which was based on segregated principles. I mean, if you look at LBJ's quote following the Civil Rights Act, if they want to vote, all those beeps are going to vote for me, are going to vote Democrat. So you go down this and you look at the narrative of like the shifting parties and everything else. You're like, this is nobody wants to look at the issues because there's fault on both sides. Yeah. The Republicans are more happy to do it now because it points faults at the Democrats. Yeah. And this goes back to your point of, hey, can somebody change? Can Joe Biden take a look at his policy that locked up hundreds of thousands of black fathers? Absolutely. Demol- I mean, the single mother rate went from 19 uh, from like 20 percent to 70 percent. Yeah. We did something wrong. Yeah. And their policies, like the American flag and the, the constitution did not create that. Yeah. That was from the sixties on from the civil rights movement on. What did we do wrong? We have the data. We know what happened. Half the people that wrote the damn thing are still here. Yeah. So let's go back and adjust it. But they don't want to do that because they don't want to admit their own faults. They don't want to admit their own faults. They don't want to lose control and power. They want to own the narrative and that's all that matters to them. They don't give a shit about you. I have been somebody that showed up saying, I am the U.S. government, I'm here to help you. Yeah. I, I 
I'm a compassionate individual. I have some harder sides to me, but like I've said that fo- that that exact statement to people who I did not know if what I was doing would keep them alive or get them killed. Yeah. Because that's a decision you make. Yeah. That's a hard thing to do. And like we're at that point now where it is all about trying to point the finger at somebody else instead of taking onus and being a leader and our elected leaders have failed us across the board because of it. Yeah. Sorry, tirade again, man. What is this? Rob McQueen. I know. I 20, took over your podcast. 2024. No, I... Uh, Dan Crenshaw, 2024. I'm, <laughs> I'm waiting for that one. We need a one-eyed Navy SEAL getting in front. And, and I think him for a VP with a, like... I really like the governor of South, of, uh, South Dakota. Oh, yeah, she's yeah, yeah. A, She's an animal, man. Yeah. She's yeah, great. Yeah. Um, it's funny. All the people... When I told people I was going to South Dakota this last week, they were like, oh, my God, I love the governor there. I mean, that's what I heard she's, from like dude, 10 different She's people. handled... Because you know what she did? She stood up. She's like, we're not going to shut down. Yeah. These are the policies. This is what I'm going to do. I will not change from that. Okay. So I... I yeah. don't want to get too into the weeds with yeah, certain yeah. things because we should probably start wrapping this up sometime yep. soon. But um, one thing about the current state of things that I think is hilarious yeah. is people thinking being mandated to wear a mask is infringing <laughs> on their rights. And let, let me just yeah. finish. Let me just finish my thought because with your mask on, you can still go to Sportsman's Warehouse, buy three AR-15s and ammo and walk out of there Correct. while you're wearing a mask. Yes. Do you feel oppressed? <laughs> I mean, that's that's my argument about it. So I think I think you have to look at it from two perspectives because I agree. And I, I I'm gonna I'll, I'll I'm gonna play devil's advocate to okay. your statement. Yeah, I want you to. Yeah, I'm gonna play to. devil's advocate this. Then there's two thought processes to one. So you had I think one of the major things the Trump administration did wrong was say don't get a mask, masks don't work, yeah. right? And they did it because they were worried they're going to be short M95. And I was working at the hospital and, and I that, saw directly how supply chain was affected oh, there. Oh yeah, yep. massive. And yep. so they lied to the population to to cover up and handle an overlying issue. They didn't come out. And there's mixed data on masks at this point like we'll go with a common assumption that I think we both agree on. It makes a difference. Yeah, I mean, even, it's, it's, it's even a good if thing. it's a small difference or whatever, right. I mean, you can look at Japan or whatever you yeah, want to yeah, do. Completely. Yeah. So, so we go down that line. So you have a loss of trust in the government and you have kind of the flip-flopping. Like, again, no common, hey guys, here's the strategy. I thought, and I really hope, and there's been two things that I think have failed on this line. Trump coming out, I wished he would have been like, here's the strategy. He mobilized a billion dollars of medical resources around this country. And then it didn't get used yeah. because we were supposed to lock down. And I thought, I thought the strategy was we're going to mobilize all the medical resources we have. We're going to open back up and we're going to charge forward with all of these new support structures in place. 60,000 ventilators, 60,000 ventilators, which (laughs) were never needed, but he had them. And so, but we had, we had mercy, the comfort, like we'd never deployed those to the U S before you had field hospitals, a 6,000 person field hospital in Seattle that not one bed was filled in. So, so St. Alphonsus purchased 170,000. 170 new striker beds yeah, and they were going to turn Idaho ice world into an ICU. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I, there's an uptick happening now, mm-hmm. but you know, the giant wave is supposed to be April 26th and it never happened. Never happened. But I mean, we, I, we should have done two weeks in my personal opinion. And then we mobilized massive amounts of resources. Boom, open it back up. Let's hit this wave and let's go hard. Yeah. It's going to suck. It's going to be rough, but we're going to make it through this. Yeah. And again, that's a tough thing. So instead we stayed locked down we mobilized a billion dollars. We didn't use it. But again, it, it's, it goes back to, I pulled away from your initial conversation on the mask. It is this flip-flop and lack of a coherent strategy. Yeah. And so you want to ask me to do something that I don't want to do. You better tell me why and you better tell me how. And the government has failed at that. Now it's and wear the mask or you're a bad person. And say it with conviction. And with too, conviction, because, yes. Because, yeah, I mean, you can go back and play the videos of Fauci yeah. saying don't wear a mask yeah. and then wear a mask and masks don't work, blah, 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 yep. blah, blah. 
Um, and then if you also start saying, wear a mask or you're a piece of shit that's going to kill my grandma, now you're triggering that response to me. Fuck you, I'm not a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. I will fight you over not wearing a mask, but yeah. wait a minute, why, why I want to wear a mask. So it's that psychology game. That's and, one. That's and, one. And, that's, and I think to your point, mm-hmm. that's the media's fault. Yes. The mask thing should have never been politicized. Correct. And 100%. somehow, some way, the media... Made well, it a and political not just thing. the media, because who took, who latched onto it first? Democrats. They yeah. were like, Trump's not wearing a mask. If you're not wearing a mask, you're a piece of shit. So automatically, that political line that's already been drawn, they put the mask on one side of it. And yeah. I, again, I don't agree with that, but that's how we got here. Yeah. So that's the argument to one of why that's happening. Two, the infringement on my rights. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about this. Okay. Uh, it goes both ways. So let's look at the numbers, right? So if you're under 49 at this point, I think your chances of dying are little to none. Yeah. Little to none. Did you look, have you seen the numbers for influenza under 49? Kills way more children, warmer, way more people. I mean, you're talking like seven to eight times the fatality rate. Yeah. So we're going to wear masks from here on out. Yeah. And that's okay. This is, but this is where you're talking about. So you want to talk to me about waiving my rights and my decision of what I do in public, my avoiding societal norms and now saying the government gets to control how I do every single thing. And I hear the argument about pants and that those are generally accepted societal norms. The, the argument about what pants, like you wouldn't wear a pants out in public. Like, Hey, I don't think the government should let me make me wear pants either. Um, <laughs> but, but that's, but that's the thought process, right? So my rights to do whatever I want outside and I'm talking outside of businesses because yeah. that's a different part of this. Yep. I have a right to decide how I do this in a public space. I have a right to decide within the generally accepted social norms and laws of how I raise my family and how I, how I behave and move around. Yeah. Right. So now you're talking about setting up something that may or may not become a political issue driven forward. Every single time we end up with a public health issue, Yeah. you are creating a non-specific narrative that now if you wear a mask, you're good. If you don't wear a mask, you're bad. Yeah. You are creating the divide and you are removing people's rights. Now the caveat to that and the big thing that I hate the fucking right on right now is the people that are going to a private business and saying, you can't stop me. Yes, they can. Yeah. They absolutely can. Yeah. Um, and that's where you have that piece. Hey, don't go use that private business. It's yeah. the same thing I think should have been. If you don't want to open up, then don't open up. Vote with your money. Vote with as your a, money. As a private citizen, if you don't agree with their mask policy, vote with your go money. somewhere else. Exactly. And I've seen some stuff online too. Um, it's funny. I was in um, Des Moines, which seemed like it was a pretty liberal city. It seemed like it was a bigger city. Yep. I mean, even for Iowa, um, it's a big city. You go to the downtown area and you can just, you can tell, yeah. you know. Um, and some of these some of these storefronts that we went past, they have the LGBT flags, mm-hmm. they have the Black Lives Matter flags. And then I on some of the businesses I saw, we recommend you wear a mask, we won't turn you away if you yep. don't have one on. And I thought that was super interesting because I've seen some businesses in Boise get like doxxed online oh, yeah. for leaving it up to the patrons whether or not they want to wear masks. Just and don't go there. Yeah, just don't go there. If you yeah. don't agree with it, don't go there. And it shouldn't be a political thing. Like you can support LGBT rights, you can support Black Lives 100%. Matter, and you can leave it up to your patrons if they want it's, to wear a mask or not. Like why is that a divisive? It shouldn't be. It went to Chick-fil-A. I mean, how long was Chick-fil-A divisive? The, pre- the founder of Chick-fil-A was like, I don't believe in gay marriage. Yeah. That was his opinion. Yeah. The business never turns anyone away. Yeah. You can walk in with your husband, your wife, your wife and wife, your husband and husband, whatever you want to do, yeah. you can walk in and they're going to give you a chicken chicken sandwich. They're yeah. not going to stop you. And so it comes down to, it's like, this is a nuance and everything has been politicized to drive us apart. Yeah. Like, cause it, it, so, so it's just funny. Like thinking about thinking back when I was in college and I think all this may have started to happen when Obama was president. Yes. I mean, I, obviously it started to happen when Obama was president and I got to college in 2008. And yep. so I was there for his whole presidency. Um, and 
it seemed like the like I had guys on my football team where like some of the guys it's like oh that that guy's a gun nut you know oh mm-hmm. that guy's kind of a socialist and it was just like it was just like who you were and yeah. you came together and you still worked out together and you still played together and it's like everyone can have their differing opinions who 100%. the hell cares yeah oh that guy has a beard and he likes to go up in the mountains in the off season and he's kind of like yeah you know stays away from everyone but when he's here we're all buds like so the, you, dude you hit you hit the nail on the head and I think that's one of the best ways to wrap this up there's a common thread. You're all football players. Yeah. You all have a mission. You have something going together. I did the same thing in the military. The guys in my teams, completely differing beliefs on so many different levels. Yeah. But we all were on, we had something in common. We had a common thread that binds us. This is why I have an issue with the narrative and the media and the anti-American it's systemic piece because that is our thread. Yeah. Remember after nine 11, everyone was an American. Totally. So if the, the best, the, the way to destroy America is don't attack us because yeah. we will galvanize, look at, look at every war we've ever fought in, look at everything that's ever brought us together, look at Pearl Harbor bringing us into World War II, yeah. look at 9-11, and we can talk about the wars and the legitimacy of everything afterwards, but look at how the country came together. Yeah. Now what do we have? Yeah, yeah. We don't, we, the COVID didn't bring us together because it, uh, it, it should have. It yeah. really should have been a galvanizing moment, but I mean, it, wasn't handled, it wasn't handled well. Yeah, I, maybe COVID because it's not, it doesn't have a face on it and it's not, you know, it uh, could have, and in here it, it could have, and I, I really think it could have, if the media and Trump could have put their pettiness beside both of them. Yeah. Cause Trump can't stop playing the media game, fighting the media and the media can't stop trying to rip him down. Yeah. And it's just, there is hatred on both sides and that stems from politics. It stems from influence, stems from money. Dude, Dude you, you're, you're making me think about some stuff. Cause I, I keep thinking that, you know, with how distracted we were, before 9-11 with uh, the Monica Lewinsky stuff. Oh, completely. Like our, the whole country's mind was somewhere else and there were these people training, learning how to fly, yeah. attacked us. It came out of left field. Nobody saw it. I mean, you can argue whether or not some people saw it coming. Oh, I mean, that was just a failure of our intelligence communities and yep, yep. the ability to talk back and forth, yeah. But the American public was so distracted and right now it seems like we're so distracted with COVID, we're so distracted with um, mm-hmm. the police protests oh, completely. that something else could be happening it is but you just made me think maybe our adversaries aren't going to do anything no i think they're what they're going to do and and so i had a conversation about this today because we look at mail-in ballots this push for everyone to mail in a ballot yeah all our adversaries want is our election in 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 november to fail yeah i don't think they care who wins i i think right now our adversaries would rather have joe biden in office just personally from the way that trump's really hard on china yeah um but it's and, and then different with russia um, but I think you look at, they just want us to fall apart. Yeah. They just want us so divisiveness. You imagine an election where we don't get a response for, I mean, New Jersey is still a month out. They haven't been able to call the election yeah. or New York, New York, New Jersey. Imagine that. Imagine November finishes and they're like, it's going to take us a month. Oh, we think there was some fraud here. We think, imagine a delegitimized American election. Yeah. Where people do We're not done. trust the results. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. We're done. Yeah. And so you look at it from that thought process, like, dude, you have, there are so many opportunities right now. I mean, T-Mobile, we had a massive cyber attack, I want to say two months ago. Yeah. T-Mobile, I mean, massive. Like, we're talking global level cyber, cyber attacking as U.S. infrastructure. Yeah. All this all this is going on. I, I still can't get over, and to put a little more lighter piece on it, the DOD and the Pentagon literally said they have a UFO <laughs> from space. Formally announced it like, we have a UFO. Uh, it is not from this planet. Yeah. 
And everyone's like, that's great. That's great. Let's get back to the protest. Uh, let's go back to the protest. Did you see all of the uh, federal officers in Portland? Yeah. Like, no. UFO. We don't care. Like, how the hell does everyone not being like, what the fuck do you mean? Yeah. yeah. Like a UFO. Yeah. Like, do you have the people that flew it here? Like, what are we talking about? That's the thing, too, is like being so consumed by the media, too. Oh, it yeah. was so refreshing going to North Dakota, going to oh, South yeah. Dakota, looking at the national parks. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I saw all these families and RVs going out, enjoying it with their oh, kids. Dude. And it's like. I mean, I know I probably have a little bit more free time on my hands than you do because you have three girls. I, un- I unplugged and took my family to, that, to the mountains for two weeks. Yeah. I had to turn everything off and because yeah. I had to reset the transition to you know being an entrepreneur and fully vesting in my startup. And then I've got to, I mean, I'm still managing projects. Like I'm taking a team to Navajo Nation next week. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I had to unplug, man. Yeah. I had to turn everything off, go to the mountains, wake up in the morning with like not no service and just be like, I'm going to go jump in the lake. Yeah. I think and hang I, out with my family. I do think a lot of people are doing that more. They need to. Yeah. They and to. It, it was refreshing seeing that in North Dakota, South Dakota, um, and people just distrusting the media. So maybe they'll put on you know, a good action movie instead. Seriously. <laughs> I, I mean, we need to get to Christmas so that we can all watch Die Hard. Yeah. Um, let's, let's do it. The Outpost is a great movie right now if you haven't watched it. I have not. Uh, so The Outpost, it's Todd Korngall. Uh, oh, dude, I have that book yeah. on my shelf. It's a new movie. Ready uh, to read. Scott Eastwood, uh, a guy I know, a guy by the name of Kwame, who was in a, a show with some friends on the actors. Fantastic. Okay. Fantastic. I mean, so it's really good. Awesome. Um, it's, it, it's accurate. Yeah. It's, you can feel a little bit like you're in Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would, I would recommend it. Cool. Yeah. The outpost. Awesome. Um, so we're coming up on an hour and a half. Yeah. There's so much shit that I wanted to ask you about that. We didn't get we into this again, man. And I definitely want, yeah. I definitely want to do it again, but I'm going to give you a minute, plug your podcast yeah. and then I'm going to give you the last word too. Oh man. The last word. Uh, okay. So if you get a chance, you like conversations, uh, come listen to Bacardi and Cola. Uh, it, it is a, uh, the podcast of myself and my buddy, Carl Jones, when I was running the team in Bosnia, who's working on the team in Kosovo, he has some crazy experience from nine uh, 11 on working, uh, as an investigator, spent some time working with Delta and some other boys, uh, just a talented, smart man. Uh, and being a black guy from Florida and me being a white guy from Idaho, you get some really different perspectives yeah. and it's awesome to come together in the middle. So check us out, Bacardi and Cola. Um, and that's uh, come join us. Awesome. Apple and Spotify. <laughs> awesome. Apple and Spotify. And then um, if you want to wrap it up, I mean, I know you gave a couple good rants and it sounded like you were running oh, for God. office or whatever, Dude. but um, if you want to just give something to the people to end on. Oh, Jesus. Uh, so much pressure. Uh, uh, it's you, you know, take five minutes and have a conversation and have a conversation with someone that disagrees with you and don't argue. Don't sit there and, and spend your entire time forming an argument against what they said listen and understand they're a person that probably wants the exact same thing you want. You just have a different way to get there. So take the time and listen and I, you'll be better for it. Boom. Awesome. Thank you, Rob. Spencer, such a pleasure, man. Right on. Good. Okay.